0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Good morning, everyone. It is Friday, and there has been a significant development in the last 12 hours we'll get to all of it let's get started with five things to know for this friday july 28th former president donald trump charged with new crimes in the classified documents case and he has a new co-defendant who allegedly said the boss wanted security camera footage erased
2: after boxes with secret material were moved in and out of a storage room the new indictment, uh, the new superseding indictment also offering new information about how the former president allegedly handled a classified war plan at Bedminster, his resort in New Jersey. Donald Trump lashing out at these latest developments, calling this election interference and harassment. He says the new charges are, quote, ridiculous. But that's not
1: the only case that we are watching this morning. His attorneys met with the special prosecutor's office in the federal January 6th investigation as another potential indictment against the former
2: president looms. All of this falling against, of course, the backdrop of 2024. Tonight, Trump and more than a dozen Republican presidential hopefuls will descend on Iowa. A big question, will any of his opponents pounce on the frontrunner's legal trouble? CNN This Morning starts right now.
1: So this is where we begin this morning. Donald Trump is facing serious new charges in the classified documents case. The special counsel is now accusing the former president of trying to get security video deleted at Mar-a-Lago in addition to hoarding boxes of national security secrets. And Trump has a new co-defendant who was allegedly involved in the scheme, Mar-a-Lago's property manager, Carlos de Oliveira. Security footage is a crucial piece of evidence in this investigation into whether Trump moved the boxes around to hide them from federal investigators. And here's some of what we have learned from this new superseding indictment. Prosecutors say Trump's longtime valet, Walt Nauta, abruptly changed his travel plans on the same day the surveillance video was subpoenaed. And he went to Mar-a-Lago. And the indictment says he gave different people different reasons for the change of plans, texting one that he had a family emergency and then
2: adding the shushing emoji. At Mar-a-Lago, Nada met up with the property manager, De Oliveira, and prosecutors say they went to the security guard booth where surveillance video is displayed on monitors. They walked with a flashlight through the tunnel where the boxes had been stored in a storage room, and they went around pointing out the location of the cameras. Just after that, investigators say De Oliveira brought the club's IT expert to a private room. And this, according to the indictment, was their conversation. De Oliveira told the IT expert, that the conversation should remain between the two of them. He asked how long the server kept footage, and the IT expert said he thought it was around 45 days. De Oliveira then said that, quote, the boss wanted the server deleted. And when the IT expert pushed back, De Oliveira reiterated that the boss wanted it gone and then asked, what are we going to do? Let's bring in CNN political correspondent Sarah Murray. So, Sarah, the timing of all of this is really key here.
3: It is. I mean, let's talk about sort of what was happening in the run up to what is now this referred to as this alleged scheme to delete the surveillance footage or to attempt to delete the surveillance footage that resulted in new charges for former President Donald Trump, as well as uh, charges for um, Carlos de Oliveira. So if we look at the timeline, if you look at May 11th, this is when the grand jury issues a subpoena to the Trump team for any documents with classified markings. We're 45 days before we really get into the meat of this scheme to start trying to, to delete the surveillance footage. So over the course of May, you see these boxes being moved out of the storage room. There's one box moved uh, on May 21st, and then you go to May 24th, three boxes are moved. You go to May 30th, 50 boxes are moved. You go to June 11th, 11 boxes are moved. This is happening by Trump employees who are having conversations with Trump throughout this process. Then on June 2nd, 30 boxes get moved back into this storage room by two Trump employees, Walt Nada, Carlos Oliveira, who is the new defendant here. And this comes right before this Trump attorney is scheduled to search the storage room and find any documents to respond to this subpoena. Now when the government actually comes to collect any classified documents that Trump's attorney is producing, they notice there are surveillance cameras outside of this storage unit. And on June 24th, a grand jury issues a subpoena for this surveillance footage. So when you dig into what's going on on June 24th, the prosecutors really delve into what transpired on that day. I mean, there's almost like a minute-by-minute breakdown when you look into this new superseding indictment. So DOJ, again, sends this new subpoena to the Trump Organization attorneys, and around 1.30 p.m., Trump's attorney tells Trump about the subpoena. Walt Nauta, who again is one of these Trump employees, uh, is informed that Donald Trump wants to speak with him. And less than two hours after that, Walt Nada, who travels with Trump, we've seen him traveling with Trump, changes his travel plans decides to go to Palm Beach instead of traveling with Trump. And he's pretty cagey uh, in when he's talking to people, as you see in this superseding indictment about the change in plans. He's sending people shushing emojis uh, about his change in plans. Let's go back to the calendar and then look at what happens a few days later. That's when we get into that June 27th timeline where Day Oliveira is trying to get into more details about what the deal is with the security footage. He learns that it's retained for about 45 days. And this is when he tells another Trump employee that it is the boss who wants it deleted. And so that really is the meat of this sort of scheme to try to uh, attempt to erase the surveillance footage. And if you think about all those boxes moving in and out of the storage room when they're supposed to all be handed over in response to a subpoena, you can see here why prosecutors believe that there was activity that Trump's team wanted to cover up, guys.
1: He's also facing an additional charge, Sarah, for this document that has been so widely discussed about attack plans, potential attack plans on Iran that he kept. That's what prosecutors say. He kept it and he showed it to folks.
3: Yeah, and Poppy, we've talked a lot about what happened to that document. What was the fate of the document? It wasn't clear when we got the original indictment if it was actually one of the documents that Trump was charged with retaining. They make it very clear in the new version of this indictment that Donald Trump is now being charged with the willful retention of this document. One he showed off in a meeting with two writers who were working on a book about Mark Meadows and two staffers, none of whom had security clearance. Let's go back and take a listen to the audience audio tape that we had obtained of Donald Trump sort of showing off this document in this meeting.
4: This was the Defense Department and him. We looked at him. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. (laughs)
5: Wait
4: a minute. Let's see Uh, (laughs)
5: here.
4: I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Except it is like highly controversial.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and remember, once this tape came out, Donald Trump has said there was no document. This was just bravado. Essentially, there's nothing to see here. What prosecutors are saying in this new indictment is this wasn't bravado. He was showing off this document. This is a real document. And now he's being charged with it, guys.
1: And there were so many questions about where that document was. And now we know mm-hmm. that it was in a key box that was eventually turned over. And this launched a lot of more questions. Sarah Murray, thank you very much. Thanks.
2: For more, let's bring in CNN legal analyst, former federal prosecutor Elliot Williams, CNN senior political analyst, anchor John Avalon, and senior political commentator and former special assistant to President George W. Bush, Scott Jennings. Good to see all of you this morning. Um, Elliot, when we look at what is included now in this superseding indictment, specifically this new timeline about the video and new details on that Iran document. What does it change for you?
6: Uh, well, it doesn't change anything uh, for me, um, but it but it puts more meat on the bones. That timeline is devastating because of all the crimes that Donald Trump is either. Uh, charged with at this point, or could be charged with in the future, obstruction of justice is probably the most straightforward to prove. You don't have to get into all the business about classified documents and so on. It's number one: did you or your folks know that there was an open investigation? Number two: did you intend to get in the way of that investigation? Number three: what steps did you take toward it? They they get the, the draft grand jury, um, start communicating about what the boss's wishes are, and then immediately took steps to uh, delete this footage. All of that is pretty lock, stock and barrel uh, evidence of obstruction of justice. A lot of the other things are more legally complicated, but that's pretty straightforward. What about, let's
1: just hone in on what was added to the indictment, page four, the superseding indictment, attempting to delete security camera footage at Mar-a-Lago to conceal information from the FBI grand jury. This indictment also details two phone calls between Trump and the new defendant, Oliveira. De Right. The, the fact that there was a persistent, according to prosecutors, effort to get that footage gone and the time in which that happened. Right. Is that more damning than what was in the original indictment? It
6: is, because the persistence shows, number one, knowledge, just intent. And number two, if he's persistent, you have more chances to prove it. Because, look, cases rise and fall on what you can actually prove and get into court. Okay. And if somebody asks something one time, right. there may be all kinds of reasons why that evidence might not be admissible. Right. And-
1: and we should note, an indictment is allegations, allegations by prosecutors. Right. Right. Trump's attorneys can't be in the room for what a grand jury hears, right. and then they will present their defense.
6: They will. And and look, and we're, we're talking about all the strengths in the indictment, and I want to be clear, this is as indictments go strong and, and well presented and so on. But you haven't seen what Trump's defenses will be. Number two, a lot of this depends on the testimony of just... Trump employee number four, this person we haven't met yet. We don't know what their credibility is. Yep. We don't know ways in which Trump's team can attack their credibility. And I don't even mean truth social. I mean literally going into court and presenting this in, this individual with conflicting statements they might have made in the past or bias or who's paying for their attorneys, any of that business. Um, so we haven't seen any of that yet. But But again, as far as indictments go, this was well written and just got stronger yesterday. Okay.
2: You mentioned paying for attorneys. One other thing that we learned in this indictment, right, is that in terms of some of those communications that are alleged that happened in this indictment, uh, there's an offer by the former president to get an attorney for this new defendant, for Carlos de Oliveira. What does that do? In Trump world, I guess it doesn't do much, right? But what does it do in the broader scope? I mean,
7: I guess if you're in their position, like, how do you say no? I mean, I assume these people are not independently wealthy. I assume they're not you know, as wired up uh, as the former president of the United States might be, and in, in their ability to get the kind of legal help you would need to fight off something like this, so I guess uh, I mean, I guess it's a, I guess it's allowed, but but it, yeah. but at the same time, it it binds them to Trump. That's right. Whether that's in their best interest or not, I mean, Ellie and I were talking right. off the air. I mean, do you really want to spend all these years and years and years and years? In prison
8: over this? And and but but that's obviously the road they're but, on. Right
2: but now. he garners loyalty, right? The former president well, but garners but loyalty that's a politically way enf- and otherwise.
8: That's a way of enforcing loyalty, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that's binding their fates together because I've got deep pockets in order to pay mm-hmm. for your lawyer. I, I just want to double down on, on the significance of this new information because it's not just willful retention of documents. It seems like a willful and persistent attempt to obstruct justice. Mm-hmm. And of course, at his according to the indictment, you know, at his explicit orders, the boss wants these deleted. Uh, when they know the request is coming. So it also shows an underlying contempt for, for the law, whether it like, believes the law doesn't a- apply to him or an attempt to evade it. It is serious stuff, especially for a party that traditionally has believed in law and order. One other issue that, uh, as a PR
7: matter, when this first came out, remember, some of the pushback was, oh, this is just newspaper clippings. Yeah, mm-hmm. We were just showing people newspaper clippings. Well, now they're... No, no, it was a map of the <laughs> of the thing and it's top secret so, battle plan. And so for Trump, who sent his people out to make that argument, like, oh, it's just newspaper clippings. Oh. They don't have anything here. Well, now that's that's been defeated as a as an Making argument.
6: Again, back to this newspaper newspaper clippings point and and how this. Is evidence, right? Uh, so, with respect to the document that he's accused of waving around at mar a uh, at Bedminster, and is recorded talking about, again, that crime there is willful retention of defense information. Doesn't even need to be classified. He admits in the clip that we just heard a second ago. He admits number one, that he's in possession of it because he says this is a document. And now see that we it know, here, it's a document, it's see a here. See it here. This is a document. Number two, the. Second sentence we heard on air there was, uh, oh, it's defense information. This is from whatever he says, the the defense secretary or so on. So he admits to every element of the offense. If they can get that into court, and there's a lot of months between now and that happening, that's another one that's just really straightforward as it is.
2: All right, everyone stick around. We have many, many more questions, a lot more information ahead. So the special counsel fairly busy uh, yesterday in another case. Lawyers for the former president meeting with prosecutors regarding a separate investigation being run by the special counsel. This one, of course, looking into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. So where does that stand? We'll break that down ahead.
1: Also, we have how Republicans on Capitol Hill are reacting to these developments, what it means for the race to the White House as the Republican candidates head
2: to Iowa. As former President Trump faces new charges in his classified documents case, he's also bracing for a possible third criminal indictment. The former president announced that his lawyers met with special counsel Jack Smith yesterday. That meeting was about the investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. CNN senior crime and justice reporter Caitlin Polance joining us live from Washington this morning. So do we have a sense this morning, any better sense, Caitlin, of where this investigation into January 6th for the special counsel stands?
9: Well, we don't know exactly what's going to happen next in this investigation. That's just how investigations go. It's how grand jury proceedings go. They're very secret. However, we do know at this time that we're really in a final stage here. If that wasn't clear before, when Donald Trump received his target letter from the special counsel's office telling him he was very likely to be charged with multiple crimes related to January 6th, the 2020 election, including obstruction and conspiracy, it is so clear now because Donald Trump's lawyers yesterday went in to a meeting with Jack Smith, the special counsel, that is often one of the final things that happens after someone is told that they're very likely going to be charged with a crime and they get one of those target letters. Typically, lawyers do have the opportunity to go in and make their final case or final appeal behind the scenes to try and dissuade the Justice Department from bringing a case. Now, after that meeting, uh, Trump's team and Trump himself even said publicly uh, on social media that there wasn't any indication of a final decision of what the Justice Department is going to do, when they're going to do it, meaning when they may indict him. But he did say that the meeting was productive. His lawyers essentially argued to the Justice Department, to the special counsel, that uh, in detail that he believed that he did nothing wrong, that they believed he did nothing wrong, and also that an indictment would destroy the political fabric of the country uh, after it's already suffering. And so this is a situation. Where uh, the special counsel's office now has to determine whether there's anything from that meeting they're going to take into account, or do they continue to move forward in the way that they very likely were already planning on doing, bringing a charge against Donald Trump? The grand jury was in all day yesterday, even after this meeting ended. No indictment emerged, but that doesn't mean that grand jury cannot gather again uh, next week or even in the coming months. Caitlin Polans, appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Okay, let's bring back in team experts here. Would a, would a prosecutor ever consider impact on the country when deciding whether to bring charges? That, that's essentially what Trump yeah. said his lawyers asked Jack Smith to do yesterday. Yeah,
6: I mean, I think it's if uh, it is in the interest of justice that this prosecution proceed, that's the legal standard. Uh, so perhaps, prosecutors could consider it but i really doubt how that how is that's, that in
1: the interest no, 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 of justice no no i'm just saying
6: what the, i'm just saying what the standard would be legally yeah. but no um, if prosecutors believe if prosecutors also believe that in the interest of justice holding people accountable for their actions deterring that person from doing the same thing again and deterring other people in the pub- public future presidents perhaps from doing the same thing those are also in the interest of justice as well so i have a really hard time believing that one individual's truth social post about uh, unrest in the country is going to make prosecutors not do what they were planning on doing to begin with.
8: Yeah, and the background music constantly is basically threat. It is that if you if there is accounta- legal accountability, that will be bad for the country in ways you cannot imagine. Uh, and, and as you know, if, if there's an attempt to overturn an election and there's not legal accountability, that's called practice. That's just an incitement to more attempts to overturn an election.
2: There's also the it's such a it's such a fine line in many ways. Right. We've talked so often for in, different, in different areas, about the Republican Party being the party of laws, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the question of, is justice being applied as a standard equally. in the way that it should be equally? Thank you, for, because yeah. I couldn't find my word this morning. <laughs> and, that's the, and that's the back and forth, right? And what you're hearing from Republicans is, no, because this is a hit job. And what you're hearing from prosecutors is, we're just following the facts.
7: Yeah, more than a handful of Republicans, even Mike Pence, who they were trying to hang mm-hmm. on January the 6th, said, well, it would be bad for the country, if they did this to Donald Trump, that, that's not really a good way to run a railroad or a justice system. I mean, you you know, what do you? What does that mean? You can you can maybe break a law. And if we just mm-hmm. arbitrarily decide it, it's not good for the country or at least half the country that likes you. I don't I don't. That's not a good. <laughs> that is not that is not a good way to look at a justice. That, that, then your justice system become arbitrary and you can start applying arbitrary standards to all sorts of people and politicians for all right. kinds of reasons. And I don't I don't think we want to go down that road.
10: Remind
1: people what. Mitch McConnell said, Thank you. or you, John, jump That's in. on That's exactly it this where week. I
8: was about to go. When, 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 the second impeachment occurred after January six, Mitch McConnell decisively um, came out against it. He said Donald Trump's responsible for this, but right. we, the impeachment is the inappropriate way to handle this because he will be accountable in the court of law to the justice system as a private citizen after the fact because no one's above the law. That's what is in fact is happening. But then
1: what McConnell said at the podium this week too, talking about what another indictment would mean for the country. The contradiction between the two. Yes. And now it's in the courts. And now there's much more damning allegations
7: put forward. Yeah. Well, he at the time was, I mean, there was an argument made that you couldn't impeach a former president. And so the only way to hold someone accountable was via the criminal justice system that's playing out right now. Frankly, he made the same argument about the election. Like, look, the the, the courts will decide whether there was any fraud in the election, and of course, they decided there wasn't. And so then the wheels kept turning. And so, if you believe in institutions, then you should believe that the institutions should be able to turn. Where the problem is, Republicans believe the institutions have been corrupted and that they're rigged against, you know, Donald Trump and the Republicans, and therefore that that we should not we should not respect that in this case. Which, which again, if it's just if, if you just believe that when your guy. Yeah. Is in trouble. That is not a good way okay. to not a Jure, good way to handle
1: it. Final word for jury of your peers. Right. I mean, that's what we're
6: talking mm-hmm. about here.
7: Yeah, w- uh, That's without, a harder
1: argument to make against yeah. a jury in South
7: Florida. So, jury of your
6: peers is, in fact, I mean, in effect, the language of the Constitution, and uh, you're tried okay. by people in the county. Oh, and that, the grand jury, by the way. Uh, right, and right, the grand jury as yeah. well. The grand jury, you know, in the county in which in which the crime happens. So, you have Washington D.C or South Florida now South Florida is about 50 50 Democrats to Republicans but you know there's no question that Palm Beach County Florida has a tremendous amount of trump supporters and and all of these truth social posts about unrest in the country and I did nothing wrong I was advised by attorneys yes that's sort of Trump's mo but it also all that can be used to tame a jury pool now there's nothing wrong or unlawful uh, yet in what he's done but those are all statements that can get in a jury's head
2: John Avalon, Elliot Williams, Scott Jennings. Thank you all this morning. Phoenix, the blistering heat in Phoenix is actually now killing off cacti. Imagine that some of them melting under the weight of 27 straight days of temperatures over 110 degrees. That record heat wave now impacting nearly half the country. We'll check in on that ahead. And tonight, 13 Republican candidates one big
1: Iowa dinner. Trump, DeSantis and 11 other 2024 hopefuls will appear at a pivotal Des Moines fundraiser. We'll have the details. It is still blisteringly, dangerously hot across the country. More than 150 million people are under these heat alerts in over 30 states from coast to coast. And Phoenix broke another record, according to forecasters there. Yesterday was its 15th day, hitting 115 degrees or more, most ever in a year. Meteorologist Derek Van Dam joins us again. He's in Florida again for us, Miami Beach. Is there any relief in sight?
11: well uh here in miami there actually has been yesterday we failed to reach 100 degrees heat index of 100 degrees so that breaks our 46 day streak consecutive streak of uh, approaching those temperatures so we'll take the small wins i guess but uh, get this poppy uh, the european union climate monitoring uh, program actually just announced yesterday that the entire planet has just lived through its warmest or its hottest three-week period ever, and it could be the hottest three weeks in over 100,000 years. Let that sink in. They also call July the hottest month ever recorded, and hey, look, it's the 28th of July, so the month hasn't even ended. That's like calling a baseball game in the seventh inning before the game is even done, right? So uh, really, really phenomenal heat. This is dangerous heat. We know that uh, heat waves are responsible for more fatalities than both hurricanes and tornadoes combined. So we need to take this heat seriously especially as it builds into places that haven't had this type of heat in quite a long time. I'm looking at the I-95 corridor. That is the concern today. We have heat emergencies in place for some of the largest population densities, largest cities, Baltimore, Philadelphia, St. Louis today, Cincinnati. Uh, Those areas are really going to feel these excruciating heats. You can see the 30 states encompassed by this uh, heat alert spanning from the west coast all the way to the east coast, and you can see how they impact the I-95 corridor as well. So heat indices are going to excel over 100 degrees for many locations and this is putting a strain on our power grid as well the largest power provider in the u.s uh, calling for people to conserve their energy especially as the demand skyrockets from uh, the use of air conditioning when these temperatures make its way over 100 degrees so a lot go at play but this is dangerous heat and uh, we need to see some relief that comes in the next couple days yeah back well, to you look forward to that little break ahead derek appreciate it thank you yeah
1: Republican candidates in Iowa today. Big dinner there tonight.
2: We'll take a look at the new changes Ron DeSantis is making to try to save his campaign. Plus, how Tim Scott responded to Ron DeSantis' defense of the new Florida curriculum, which suggests enslaved people benefited from forced labor. That's ahead. Former President Donald Trump heading to Iowa tonight for his first big campaign appearance since facing new charges in the classified documents case. This, of course, comes one day after his biggest competition for the GOP nomination. Ron DeSantis hit the trail in central Iowa after overhauling his campaign. CNN's Jessica Dean joining us live from Des Moines this morning. So um, any sense that he was able to gain some momentum after this quote unquote reboot, Jessica?
10: Well, Erica, that's certainly his and his campaign's hope that they can really push forward and really build a coalition here in Iowa, which they are really zeroing in on after starting in this national campaign. Now they are laser focused on Iowa and other early states. And what we heard from him again and again, stop after stop yesterday, is his pitch to voters is all about electability. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis rolling into rural Iowa, taking his campaign refresh on the road.
6: I think it's very important that you go to the rural counties, and so we're going to hit them all, and this is probably the easiest way to do it.
10: DeSantis, back in the Hawkeye State, following an overhaul of his two-month-old campaign. In the last week, he laid off more than one-third of his staff, citing budget concerns, as senior campaign officials pledged a, quote, leaner and more insurgent campaign to take on former President Donald Trump. During a gathering of donors over the weekend, campaign officials admitted missteps in fundraising and messaging. You've made some changes to your campaign in the last several days. What do you think that the voters should be taking away from that, uh, based on the fact that you're asking them to make you the top executive?
6: So what I would say is focus on the substance. You know, a lot of this process stuff, things happen. You know, as an executive, you have a commander's intent. If that commander's intent is not followed, then you have to make sure it's followed.
10: After pledging a national campaign, DeSantis is now laser focused on early nominating states such as Iowa, which is set to hold the GOP primaries first caucuses January 15th. It's
6: great to be back in the state of Iowa. A
10: recent Fox Business poll shows former President Donald Trump with a commanding lead in the state, garnering 46 percent of the vote from likely caucus goers. DeSantis is in a distant second place with 16 percent.
6: The stakes are high. Uh, We don't have the opportunity to fritter this one away uh, and we got to get the job done.
10: DeSantis' five-stop bus tour through rural Iowa, sponsored by Never Back Down, the super PAC supporting him that's raised some $130 million since March and is focused on building out an infrastructure across a number of states to support the campaign.
12: We don't feel like we need, you know, Jane Doe at 123 Main Street in Iowa to know everything there is to know by tomorrow. You know, we have six months to help deliver that.
10: And as his campaign resets, DeSantis is zeroing in on his message of electability, making the case he's the only one in the primary who can win in a general election, saying this when asked how he'll convince Trump supporters to support him instead.
6: In Florida, he won by three. I won by 20. We're not getting a mulligan on 2024. Uh, You either go, you get the job done uh, or you don't. And so I will get the job done.
10: really the most explicit comments we heard related to former President Donald Trump, Erica, and of course, as all of this news swirls uh, with news about former President Trump and his legal troubles. What we weren't hearing out here in Iowa from DeSantis or the voters that I was talking to yesterday was anything about an indictment. DeSantis, of course, was very focused on himself, about pitching himself to voters. The voters we were speaking to uh, really concerned about finding someone who can win in 2024. That's what they want to find and what they're very interested in. And as you mentioned, almost all of the GOP field converging here in Des Moines later today, they're going to be talking to Iowa Republicans at a big, uh, it's called the Lincoln dinner. It's just a big dinner uh, put on by the Republican Party here. And former President Donald Trump will be here and you can expect there will be so much attention on him because of all the news that has come out in the last 24 hours. These other
2: candidates just hoping that they can break through and really make a mark with the voters here, Erica. We will be. We will be watching Jessica. I appreciate a great reporting as always. John Avalon, Scott Jennings
1: are back. Also joining us, happy to have Chief White House Correspondent, and Senior Political Correspondent at The Messenger, Amy Parns. Good morning, everyone. Amy, let's start with you. I was just thinking when they said the Lincoln Dinner, how different this mm-hmm. Republican Party is to the Party of Lincoln. That aside, so Trump public unless he speaks to someone today before the dinner, this is the first time we're going to hear from him aside from Truth Social about the superseding indictment. Yeah,
5: huge moment for him, all eyes on him. But also, like, how does he handle, you know, how does he handle the indictment? How does he handle all the other players who will be there too? This is the first time that he'll be sharing a stage with Ron DeSantis. How does he mention him? Does he go after him? Or does he just spend his entire 10 minutes? That's all each candidate gets. How, you know, will he just spend the entire time raging about what happened um, yesterday and into today? That'll be the big watch.
2: It'll be interesting. I'm (laughs) sure. You know, you've been you've been in a role where you're advising candidates, political people, as they were. There would be some advice as to which road he should take. Whether or not Donald Trump would listen to said advice, separate conversation. What's your gut? What are we going to hear?
7: Oh, I think we're going to hear a lot of uh, anger and rage. That the same week that the Justice Department, the Biden Justice Department, is trying to give blanket immunity to. The president's son—they're trying to throw your favorite president in jail for even more made-up stuff. I think that's what you're likely to hear out of him. And guess what? They're going to clap. I mean, that's what most of these Republicans in that room are going to believe. It really does put the other candidates in quite an interesting box about whether they should deal with it at all, how they should handle it, um, and uh, uh, and of course Iowa for him. If he wins Iowa by a substantial margin, I think his campaign believes they can end this race early. And so maintaining that big lead in Iowa and just trying to to end it early and not ever get this thing down to a two-person race is the name of the game. And by the way, his campaign thinks they've got such a high floor based on what he's built there over the last two caucus cycles that, that he's going to be real tough to beat out there.
1: What your reaction to Senator Tim yeah. Scott, who has a really high favorability rating nationally and in these key states? Uh, also, black, the only black Republican senator, responding to Ron DeSantis' comments a few days ago about how there was some benefit to the forced labor of slavery. Here's how uh, Tim Scott responded. Here he is.
13: There's, there's no silver lining in freedom, in, in slavery. The truth is that anything you can learn, that any benefits that people suggest you had during slavery, you would have had as a free person. Uh, what slavery was was really about separating families, about mutilating humans, and even raping their wives. It was just devastating. So I would hope that every person in our country, and certainly running for president, would appreciate that. And listen, people have bad days. Sometimes they regret what they say. And we should uh, ask them again to clarify their positions.
8: There's no silver lining in slavery should be something that doesn't need to be said in 2023. But I'm glad Senator Scott said it the way he said it right there. Um, Keep in mind where they're all convening tonight in Iowa, the Lincoln Dinner. This was the party founded by Abraham Lincoln and others as an anti-slavery party. And so, you know, whatever tactical decisions they make about Donald Trump, you got to have moral clarity. And it'd be good to remember some words of Abraham Lincoln, like, let us have faith that right makes might. It, it, with it, malice toward none, with charity for all. Things like that, virtues that seem to have been lost in our politics, in particular in this party at this time under Donald Trump.
1: You sound like you know a thing or two about Abraham I'm Lincoln. I'm familiar <laughs> with his work. Good, good books. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he can probably recommend a couple. Um, when, we, when we look at this, what's, what really I think stands out as well in that moment from Tim Scott is not only you know, what he is saying, right, and, and why we want to hear that from him, but also the fact that he is serving up any silver platter for Ron DeSantis, the chance to try to fix this. Mm-hmm. The question is, will he take that opportunity?
5: Probably not. I mean, in recent days, he has doubled down on this. He has gone on the offensive and blamed other people and uh, called Representative Donald's Kamala Harris, has made this basically turned it into us versus them. And are you joining me or are you with them? Um, and so I don't expect him to. I mean, he might be forced into into a box and say, look, I, I didn't mean that and try to walk his way back. But, I mean, it's out there. And I mean, what an opening also for Tim Scott. Yeah. He He is on the rise, he saw that this guy is a weak link. He went after him. And, you know, what a moment for him going into the Lincoln dinner. Um, and he's going to capitalize on that as much as possible. Do, do you
1: think this Tim Scott momentum continues? What's just interesting is he really, in his political life more recently, has not had significant challenges in terms of really as difficult races as this is?
7: Oh, I think Tim Scott's got something going on in Iowa. Mm-hmm. I mean, He's a good campaigner. You know, his, his, you know, he has a different marketing plan than virtually every other candidate. He's got a ton of money. I mean, plenty of money to, 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 to run the kind of race you need to run out there. So, yeah, I, I do think he has something going on. It's just, for him, it's the same problem as DeSantis as everybody else. Half the party wants to do Trump, and then the rest of it yeah. is divided among a whole bunch of different people. And can you get it down to a narrower field? what Mitt field? Romney wants. Get yeah, yeah, it down. <laughs> I know. I know. God bless me. He's he's right, but how do you get a bunch of rich people to agree on anything? I mean, I I mean, I I mean, they're all so smart. You know, they'll they'll just ask them. And so I I, I, I think Scott Scott is is such a good campaigner that that he's going to have a chance to have a moment. But again, fighting for market share in a fragmented field. Look,
1: but if he has a moment, I think there's something yeah. to the fact that he has said that he's going to run a positive campaign. And you contrast that with some of the ads that have gone out from DeSantis Super PACs, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be interesting to watch how effective that yes, can exactly be. Right.
2: really will. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. So to come here Michigan, the Michigan school shooter back in court today on trial to determine whether he's eligible for a life sentence. The chilling audio from the night before that massacre just ahead.
1: Also, CNN has obtained the 911 calls for Bronny James after he suffered cardiac arrest at that basketball practice. You're going to hear it ahead. Later this morning, a high schooler in Michigan who pleaded guilty to gunning down his classmates in that deadly massacre will be in court for the second day in a row. Yesterday, prosecutors showed chilling video and texts and played recordings of Ethan Crumbly detailing his plans to shoot up his
2: school. Uh, Crumbly killed four students, pleaded guilty to murder, terrorism, and other charges. Seen in Gene Casares is live in Michigan this morning. So, Jean, what are we expecting from this hearing?
14: Well, we're going to expect more witnesses. You know, this is the closest that this case will ever get to a trial. And this hearing, which is called a Miller hearing, is actually required by the U.S. Constitution because back in 2012, there was a precedent-setting case Uh, Miller versus Alabama. And it stated that when you have a juvenile that has committed a crime, which under statute is life in prison without the possibility of parole, that that is unconstitutional based on the Eighth Amendment of cruel and unusual punishment. And you have to have a hearing to weigh and balance the aggravating and mitigating Miller factors to determine if that juvenile should be afforded at some point the possibility of parole. This hearing, it's critical for both sides. I heard three very loud,
10: they are physically loud, like I could feel them coming through that door. I like the power of it, um,
14: but they were, It sounded almost like a pop, like a cap gun. Molly Darnell, a school educator and one of the surviving victims, took the stand to describe being shot. I kind of jumped to the right and I felt my left shoulder uh, move back. um, And it felt like someone had burned me with hot water a mass shooter in his own words hours before committing a massacre at his high school in oxford michigan
3: i'm going to open
4: fire on everyone in that hallway i will try and hit as many people as i can
14: he shot dead four of his classmates that day madison baldwin tate meyer hannah st juliana justin Schilling. seven others were shot but survived The shooter pleaded guilty last October to one count of terrorism causing death, four counts of first degree murder, and 19 other counts. Prosecutors showed through his journaling he had planned this for months.
12: The first
6: victim has to be a pretty girl with a future so she can suffer just like me. Killing myself is too much of a move. People will just forget about me and I will have never making an impact in this world. The only way
15: is to shoot up the school.
14: The defense says the shooter is not irreparably
16: corrupt. My evil has fully taken over in me and I used to like it, but now I don't want to be evil. I want help, but my parents don't listen to me, so I can't get any help.
3: We must have the courage and strength to listen and view the facts despite how horrifying it may seem. That is what we are called upon to do and it is the only way to do so with the utmost respect that these victims deserve.
14: And the witnesses today will be former classmates of the defendant who were there, who witnessed the shooting. And we believe at least one other school administrator. Poppy, Erica.
2: It's just chilling, Gene, Appreciate it. Thank you.
14: I had the special counsel accusing former
1: President Trump of trying to get security video deleted at Mar-a-Lago. We'll break down the new
2: details, including the shushing emoji included in this indictment. Plus, Angels superstar Shohei Otani doing something that no player has ever done in the history of baseball. Andy Scholl is going to break it down for us. Quite a day for the record books. Just when you maybe thought Angel's superstar Shohei Ohtani can't get any better, he goes and does this. A double header performance for the ages. Andy Scholes is with us this morning. Um, this is really something. Is there anything he can't do?
17: I, I, apparently not, Erica. Good morning to you. I mean, we should really appreciate just how great Shohei Ohtani is. You know, he's the closest thing we've ever seen to Babe Ruth, and Otani's going to be a free agent after this season, expected to get the biggest deal in U.S. sports history, north of $500 million. And considering that he can do it all, you know, it might be worth it. Just a day after the Angels said they would not be trading Otani ahead of Tuesday's trade deadline, he had a, just a career day. Otani starting game one of the doubleheader against the Tigers. He was amazing on the mound, striking out eight while throwing a one-hitter this was the first complete game shutout of his career. Then in Game Two, Otani hitting not one, but two home runs. He now has a major league leading 38 for the season. Otani, the first player ever to throw a shutout in one game of a doubleheader and homer in the other, and he hit two in that game. Angels won both of them. Here was manager Phil Nevin afterwards.
13: You hate to say that, like you expect greatness every day, just because, but it's what we get. And. It's awesome to watch. But the thing is, is that him performing at this level, when there's so much focus on one person um, to be great and continue to be great as he does, uh, only the mentally strong are able to do that.
17: Yeah. So, again, Otani going to be a free agent at the end of this season. Uh, It will certainly be fascinating to see how the Angels do the rest of the way, guys, and uh, to see who ends up with Otani Next year, if he does not stay with the Angels, the bidding war is going to be uh, wild, as you can imagine, Eric. Yeah,
2: I can't even imagine how high that will go. Um, (laughs) Maybe more than the current Mega Millions Powerball jackpots. Maybe. There you go. And he doesn't even have to buy a ticket. Uh, Andy Scholes, (laughs) appreciate it. Thank you. All right. CNN This Morning continues right now.
1: Good morning, everyone. We're so glad you're with us on what is a very busy Friday. So happy to have Erica Hill by my side. Nice to be with you. We have a lot to get to. Major developments overnight. So let's begin here. Former President Donald Trump charged with new crimes in the classified documents case. And he has a new co-defendant who allegedly said the boss wanted security camera erased,
2: footage erased after boxes with secret material were moved out of the storage room. The indictment also offering new information about how the former president allegedly handled a classified war plan at his Bedminster home. Donald
1: Trump responding to these developments, calling it election interference and harassment, he says the new charges are, quote, ridiculous.
2: It's not the only case we're watching, though. His attorneys on Thursday meeting with the special prosecutor's office in that federal January 6th investigation. This as another potential indictment against the former president looms large this all falls against the backdrop, of course,
1: of 2024. Tonight, Trump and more than a dozen Republican presidential candidates are together in Iowa. A big question, how will his opponents respond to the frontrunner's legal trouble? CNN This Morning starts right now. We're glad you're with us. And there is a superseding indictment this morning. And there is a new co-defendant this morning. Donald Trump is facing serious new charges in the documents case. The special counsel is now accusing the former president of trying to get surveillance video deleted at Mar-a-Lago, notably after it was subpoenaed by the Justice Department. Trump's longtime valet, Walt Nata, and Mar-a-Lago's property manager, Carlos de Oliveira are accused of helping in this scheme.
2: Investigators say Nada abruptly changed his travel plans just hours after that subpoena for the video came down and then secretly headed to Mar-a-Lago. According to the new indictment, Nada met up there with Diola Vera. They went to the security guard booth where security video is displayed and then went around the property with a flashlight through a tunnel pointing out where cameras were located. Now, just after that, investigators say De Oliveira brought the club's IT expert to a private room. And according to the indictment, this was their conversation. Olivera told the IT expert that the conversation should remain between the two of them and asked how long the server kept footage. The IT expert said he thought it was around 45 days. De Oliveira then said that, quote, the boss wanted the server deleted. And when the IT expert pushed back on that request, Olivera reiterated, The boss wanted it gone and then asked, what are we going to do? So the timing here matters a lot, right? De Oliveira was told on
1: June the 27th that the cameras caught about the last 45 days of footage. And if you go back, that would include the time when Trump allegedly had NADA move boxes of national security secrets around Mar-a-Lago to hide them from federal investigators
2: and notably from his own attorney. The indictment contains an additional charge related to a top-secret document about Iran attack plans. So we've talked a lot about this and the fact that Trump discussed the document with biographers during a taped meeting at his Bedminster Golf Club in New Jersey in July 2021. CNN, of course, obtained that audio exclusively. Take a listen.
4: This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at him. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Mm. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long, Look. Wait a minute, let's see here. Yeah. I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm -hmm. Except it is like highly confidential.
1: Joining us now, CNN Senior Legal Analyst Ellie Honey. Good morning. Let's begin with what's new against the former president.
18: Yeah, Poppy, so a bad situation for Donald Trump has now gotten worse. Let's talk about exactly what's new in this superseding, as we call it, chapter two of the indictment. So first of all, Donald Trump is now charged with 32 counts of retention of national defense information. It was 31. There's now one additional document. And boy, is that an important document. This is the document that Donald Trump is talking about In that audio tape, he's not president anymore. He's at his golf club at Bedminster. He's showing this document to outsiders, to people with no security clearance. He's bragging about it. And he says during that call, during that audio, not recall, during that meeting, Donald Trump says to them, this is secret information. Look at this. Now, Donald Trump, since the first indictment, has said there was no document. That's a direct quote Donald Trump said to Fox News. Guess what? There was a document DOJ has it. And now Donald Trump is charged with that. The other new development is Donald Trump now faces eight counts related to obstruction and false statements. It was six. Now he has two more counts. Let's look at what that covers here. The general allegation is that Donald Trump and the other defendants requested that this Trump employee for delete security footage at the Mar-a-Lago Club to prevent that footage from being provided to a federal grand jury. So there's sort of two levels of obstruction now. One is the moving around of these boxes to keep them away from lawyers, investigators, FBI, the grand jury. But now there's also this second level where the allegation is Donald Trump and the other co-defendants got together, conspired, came up with a plan, let's get rid of this surveillance and footage. telling them the why
1: is really key in this allegation. And they had just
18: gotten a subpoena, which is really important. Right, this
1: came after that. Let's yes. talk about the new, the new co-defendant.
18: Yep, we went from just two defendants, Donald Trump and Walt Nauta, and now we have this third person, Carlos de Oliveira. We don't have a photo of him yet. A couple of interesting things here about the mechanics of what's going to happen. First of all, will they be tried altogether or will the government or will the defendants try to split them into separate trials? That's going to be ultimately up to the judge. And let's remember, Carlos de Oliveira, now he is faced with federal indictment, criminal charges, potential jail time. Will he decide to cooperate against either of these other two? We shall see. We don't have a good indication either way. Now, de Oliveira is charged with that conspiracy to obstruct justice. He was crucial in working with Trump employee four to delete that surveillance video. He's also charged with destroying or concealing an object. The object there would be the surveillance video. And he made false statements to the FBI. He gave an interview to the FBI. They asked him straight up, do you know anything about the boxes being moved anywhere? And he just says, no, no, I don't know anything. One thing that is important to note, though, when we talk about this conspiracy, it's based largely on testimony that's going to come from this Trump employee for yep. which is based on what D Oliveira told him
1: and who is Trump employee for what is his credit his or her credibility Th- those are things the defense will dig into yes. obviously Ellie stay with us let's yeah. go back to the table Erica I will right,
2: well, also joining us here CNN political commentator former White House communications director Alyssa Farah Griffin and CNN chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst John Miller nice to see you both this morning so as we pick up this conversation here there's been so much made, and, and obviously Ellie was just talking about it, about the timeline here, John. And when you look at what we know, the fact that in the indictment they're saying, when they're talking about the video, uh, that Diolivera and Nada are going through the tunnel, and they have flashlights, and they're looking at the cameras, which would suggest that they perhaps have that footage.
19: Yeah, the timeline tells a story, which is, you know, they go down this tunnel that leads to the storage room with their flashlights, they're looking at the cameras and then the next thing in the timeline is a conversation with the technology uh, boss in the server room saying, how can we delete, you know, parts or the whole server? The other question is, and this is going to be really interesting when we find out, is it, it is charged as attempting to delete the server. Now, does that mean they deleted it and thought it was gone and the FBI went into those servers, as I've seen them do in prior cases and went into the depths of the memories and recovered deleted material, or they just couldn't figure out how to execute it. Um, either way, the story is they were trying to get rid of the visual story of, A, where the boxes moved and when, and B, um, they're searching for the cameras.
2: The other thing that, that really stood out is, is the list, and I hope you can speak to this, the relationships that have been laid out here. So Walt Nato is supposed to travel with the former president. Instead, he shifts gears. He's going down to Mar-a-Lago. He's now talking to Dio Lovera. He's helping to spread the messages. Just talk to us a little bit about what that relationship, based on your experience, is like with the former president and the pressure that's potentially applied?
20: Well, I think what stood out to me in this was, you know, there's this 24 minute phone call by the former president where he's, that's an extremely long time for Donald Trump to talk to someone who's not a senior aide or a family member, someone close to him. It's just very odd. There, There's a power discrepancy here. Walt, you know, was someone who he did serve in the White House. If Donald Trump's reelected, it wouldn't, you know, be shocking if he followed him there. But this, this uh, you know, kind of maintenance manager, this is a let's call him junior person who works at Mar-a-Lago that I could imagine felt some level of pressure. I mean, I would guess if he has outside counsel and is not having his counsel provided for by the former president, it would make a lot of sense for him to sever because there's there's going to be pressure there. I imagine that he felt like he needed to cooperate with what he the former president was instructing him to do. This is Donald Trump's playbook. He pressures people around him. He clearly bypassed his lawyers and wanted to work directly with these two individuals To obstruct and it it, you know what and these these guys are in a very bad position now because of it.
18: Alyssa hits on a really important point, and this is also right out of the Donald Trump playbook. You know this, I think, firsthand. He pays for lawyers for people around him. That's not illegal, it's actually I think more common than people recognize. Happens a lot in corporate cases. When you have organized criminal activity, it happens a lot. But it naturally has the effect of making it really difficult to break away, A, because you don't know exactly where your lawyer's li- loyalty sits, and B, it's expensive yeah. if you've got to go hire your own lawyer. So we'll see how that plays here.
19: There's also a little bit of a scrum here, which is you have now three defendants being paid for legally, their attorneys, by Donald Trump, who have extraordinarily divergent legal interests in this case. The Donald Trump defense is going to be, I don't know what these guys were doing, they took this on themselves and they did it, And their defense is going to be, we thought this was on the level because the boss told us it was okay and to go ahead and do it. This is the kind of case where any lawyer would say, I need a severance to have a separate trial with my defendant from this guy, and that might apply to all three of them, uh, when the first defendant is paying for all your attorneys, that becomes challenging.
20: And it reminds me, frankly, of the January 6th investigation where a lot of staffers around Donald Trump ended up getting um, him to cover their legal bills because many of them were young. They were junior staffers. They couldn't afford the expensive retainers. But what it effectively did is keep them from sharing information that their attorneys potentially said, you know, you don't need to share that, you only need to share what you're asked. So it's it's a very effective tool that Trump uses to try to keep information he doesn't remember when some of those lawyers
19: really representing.
20: And when some of those key
1: witnesses got different attorneys, they came back Mm -hmm. with much different testimony trial date here. Does it move because of this?
18: Yeah, I think I've said to you all before, write that in pencil. Now get out the eraser. I mean, there's really? no way this May 2024 trial date holds. Remember when the judge just a week ago set that trial date, she set 33 intermediate deadlines for discovery and motions. Now we're starting back at square one. This thing is Why going to get- square
1: one with, I mean, there's well, significant not additional one. charges, but-
18: But the the problem is you have a new defendant now who is literally at square one and you have these new charges against Donald Trump. There's going to be new discovery. He may have new motions. I will say also it's not great form by DOJ to go in front of the judge two weeks ago or so and beg for a a trial date in December when they knew they were going to do this superseding. You don't have to say it. But usually you would signal to a judge and you wouldn't say we need a quick That's trial date when you knew you're about to bring a bigger, more complicated. So indictment.
2: you think they definitely knew that this was happening? It's not that because what's interesting, right, is Jill Rivera is mentioned, but not by name in the original indictment. Right. That changes now that the, that has been replaced in the indictment with the superseding right. indictment. There's a name in there. Could it be that? And I'm just guessing as the non-lawyer here, could it be that they thought maybe they were going to get him? When they went to the judge, they didn't. And now they're like, okay, we're going to charge
18: you. It's possible that all of this came to their attention in the last 10, 12 days or so since they were last in front of the judge. We don't know that. Superseding indictments take a while to put together. This, this adds, as we just talked about, substantial new charges and a whole new defendant. But yeah, this, this May trial date is not going to hold. I already had doubts now that they've added this. And listen, as much as this indictment is bad news for Trump, that one piece of good news for Donald Trump may swamp the bad news because if he can get this thing kicked to after the trial, that's the ultimate strategy for him.
20: Tell people why. Well, of course, his only legal defense, as far as I can see it, is winning the presidential election. Um, he, he's not running on a forward-looking message. He hasn't laid out a policy vision for the American public. He wants to get elected so that he can run the Department of Justice. He can do away with these charges. That is why he's running for president. Final thought,
19: And if you look at this in context— this isn't a new indictment. It's a superseder on an existing indictment. And they're still, at least in the calendar of what prosecutors say, they have coming two more indictments in the oven. You've got Georgia and then you've got January 6th. So this is a bit of a justice juggernaut um, focused on Donald Trump, which is going to complicate his life. The weird thing is, every time this happens, that message goes out, Donald Trump needs your help. Money comes oh, yeah. in, polls go up. Somewhere in a dark room, Ron DeSantis is trying to figure out how can I get indicted. And, you know.
21: <laughs> not
1: sure that's the new campaign shift but I mean, there is a reboot. It, there is. Maybe it'll take a turn.
2: Alyssa, thank you, John. Ellie, appreciate it. Uh, well, you are living through, you may not need us to tell you this, but we have the data to back it up this morning. Trust me, the hottest month ever recorded, and we're learning. It is likely the hottest in 100,000 years. That's according to some global weather authorities. We're going to bring you the very latest on this relentless heat wave. Also, water temps
1: on Florida's coast reaching record highs. Some as hot as a hot tub. Our Derek Van Dam takes a dive, look at that, underwater to see the extent of the damage to the
2: state's reefs. Chicago, New York, Washington, D.C., just among a few of the very many places in this country, bracing for temperatures that will feel like 100 degrees or even higher today. Forecasters are warning, look at that map there, warning of this deadly heat wave. We've been talking so much about it. It's been parked, though, over the southwestern U.S. for so long, expanding, of course, now into the Midwest, across the northeast. Nearly half the nation this morning is under some sort of heat alert. And we are covering, as only CNN can, we have meteorologist Derek Van Dam in Miami Beach with a closer look at how this extreme heat is impacting sea life and, of course, the broader impact from there, CNN's Danny Freeman live for us in Philadelphia this morning, a lot of folks waking up. It just feels like absolute steam outside and it feels sort of inescapable. What are you seeing there?
15: Yeah, I think that is a good way of putting it. And it's felt inescapable for at least 24 hours already. But I will say it still, at this point, kind of feels like the calm before the heat storm. Because, you know, it's just after 7 a.m. right now. And it still is only 78 degrees, feels in the low 80s. But we know it was oppressively hot yesterday. And we know it's going to get oppressively hotter today. And like you said, Erica, all across the East Coast, I'm going to read some of these temperatures that we're expecting. D.C. today, a high of 100. Tomorrow, high of 98. But a heat index of 110 and one. 107 over the course of the next two days. New York, high of 92 and 90 for today and tomorrow. Heat index 199. And here in Philly, a high of 98 and 95 for today and tomorrow and a heat index today that could get up to 109 degrees. It could feel like 109 degrees in Philadelphia. That's why we're in this heat health emergency right now in this part of the city and really in our area as well. Uh, In the city of Philadelphia, we're seeing cooling centers open up and folks are really recommending that you stay indoors and get access to libraries, schools that are open uh, with air conditioning to support some of those folks who may not have it in their homes. Uh, The other thing, Parks and Rec, they're also recommending get out, go to the splash pads, go to uh, some of the community pools that are open today and will be open tomorrow as well. They say ideally don't jump in some of these fountains like this, but you know that may happen. It is Philadelphia. But that main message, stay indoors and hydrate. And I just want to illustrate something. Uh, I I filled my water bottle here with just ice uh maybe less than an hour ago and you can see this Ooh. is how fast uh it yeah. is melting right now i'm sure by the next live shot uh it'll just be water and then i'll be happily drinking it to stay hydrated yeah. myself it, out here it may be I'll boiling by that Still point you never know getting hotter
2: <laughs> yeah. danny appreciate it <laughs> right exactly. exactly stay out of the fountain please yes thank you
1: well, researchers are racing to save dying coral off Florida's coast. This extreme heat is causing what some scientists are calling the worst coral bleaching the state has ever seen. Meteorologist Eric Van Dam live in Miami, and you literally saw it with your own eyes.
4: Yeah,
11: it's all about how this heat wave on land has transpired into our oceans directly behind us. Yesterday, we went on a scientific expedition with the University of Miami Rosenstiel School, and uh, we went to go determine how the delicate ecosystem of coral reefs here in Southern Florida are handling these unprecedented ocean temperatures, this marine heat wave. And uh, if anyone can tackle this problem, it's these guys because uh, they are inspired, they're motivated, and they are on the front lines of this climate emergency every single day studying this coral. I remember coral reefs provide this natural protection, this barrier from storm surge, from hurricanes here in Southern Florida, so we desperately need them also for the tourism as well. And when we went underwater, uh, we wanted to determine just how severe the bleaching was occurring. We know that there's been reports of 100% mortality of the coral in the Southern Florida Keys. We went out to Biscayne Bay, in the middle of the bay, specifically the Southern sections, and uh, we took samples with these scientists and uh, that helped them determine, and also uh, in in report back to NOAA, the level of this ocean bleaching that is moving from the south to the north as these temperatures continue to stay warm. Uh, You know, 90% of excess greenhouse warming is literally stored and absorbed within our oceans, and it's been apparent this week with uh, temperatures over 100 degrees in some of those buoys on the southern side of Florida. Now, when we surfaced from under the water, we were about 30 feet deep taking these samples. Uh, This is the reaction from the scientists. Again, these are top coral scientists. Have a listen.
16: pretty horrifying. You know, I'm really heartened that some of those corals are still hanging on. I'm heartened that they're all alive, but I'm very worried about their next few ones.
0: And I think what's really saddening for here is that this is one of the few uh, reefs in Miami-Dade County where you can still see really big old colonies, and they're
11: clearly bleaching uh, pretty badly. So, Poppy and Erica, this is a coral cliffhanger. It's not the end of the story. Uh, We are bracing ourselves for the warmest months ahead. That's what scientists were so concerned about. It's middle of July, and we still have August and September to go. So will these ocean temperatures continue to rise? Time will tell. We're seeing
1: seeing the the deadly impact of humans' actions and climate change. Derek. thank you for that fascinating look. Well, had President Trump's defense lawyer for a second impeachment told us last month that he doesn't believe Trump knew or believed he was doing anything wrong or illegal illegal
2: in the documents case. David Schoen is joining us next to see if he still thinks that's true. Plus, Senator Dianne Feinstein uh, appearing confused during a committee vote. The incident uh, spotlighting concerns about the capabilities of some of the nation's most senior lawmakers.
22: Donald Trump is running for president in order for him to stay out of jail. These are serious crimes. These are serious accusations. Donald Trump is a national security risk. This is a a level of criminality that I don't think we've seen before. maybe, Maybe Richard Nixon.
1: That was former congressman, Republican, I should say, and former CIA officer Will Hurd, who is also running for the GOP nomination for president. The former president railing against the latest charges in this superseding indictment, calling them, quote, election interference at the highest level and prosecutorial misconduct. So what does the former defense attorney for Trump during his second impeachment think? Happy to be joined this morning by David Schoen. David, it's good to have you. Your words to me, to us, on June 8th before this. You do not believe in any way that Trump knew or believed he was doing anything wrong or illegal. You've read this superseding indictment. Do you still believe that?
23: Yes, I do. 100 percent. And I hope that uh, Mr. Hurd is not a lawyer because he seems to have forgotten about the presumption of innocence. It's very important that we keep that in mind. These are just allegations. And it's very easy to get a witness to say anything, quite frankly.
1: We don't know Trump's defense. That's correct. But these are very detailed allegations, uh, documents that they have in the superseding indictment the prosecutors say that they have about that Iran document about attack plans that you hear on the audio tape that CNN obtained that he is showing it to multiple people with no right to see it, right, with no classification clearance. You also have surveillance video, it appears, from this. On page four of the superseding indictment, the prosecutors allege that he attempted to have deleted security camera footage at Mar-a-Lago to conceal information from the FBI and grand jury. And this allegation is that it happened after the subpoena for that footage.
23: What I would say is, very importantly, I think, what we have here, let's take, for example, the uh, alleged deletion of the video. We have a he said, that Nada said, that Trump said. We have rules of evidence for very important reasons to assure some level of reliability. Remember, in this process, the government has all of the leverage. So if a witness, for example, why is it we're seeing now a superseding indictment? Let's Take it back a step. They just had a scheduling conference with the judge. The judge ought to be upset that if the judge wasn't given any warning, there'd be a superseding indictment. Is this really new evidence or did they turn the screws to Mr. Tavares, the person who said, apparently, that Mr. De Oliveira said this, who said Nauta said this, who said Trump said this. Why is this happening now? Uh, there are a number of things I would say about this indictment. Why do we see in counts 32 and 38 fa- allegedly false statements that the lawyers supposedly made attributed to Trump and NADA and the lawyers are not charge in the case? I do think there's a real uh, this is done for public consumption at a minimum. This is a real speaking indictment for public consumption.
1: I'm interested in in the fact that Ty Cobb, who is a lawyer in the Trump White House, what he said to Aaron Burnett last night, because he totally disagrees with you. Here's what he said.
8: I think this original indictment was engineered to last a thousand years, and now it will last. This the superseding indictment will last to antiqu- antiquity.
1: Why do you think he is so wrong? Why would you be so confident if
23: you were Trump's defense counsel in this?
8: I, I don't even know what he means,
23: quite frankly. I, I'm actually he means it's strong. Trump, President Trump's former look. Yeah, I, look, the allegations are very serious and very detailed. There's no question about that. No one can reasonably say otherwise. But I'm saying to you, it's very important to keep in mind, these are the allegations. Remember this about Mr. Smith, for example. The lawyers for John Edwards came in and tried to talk him out of indicting in that case. He went forward with it. There's a very interesting article in The Hill that suggests that his evaluation of evidence, both its strength and its reliability, is questionable. There's a real agenda here, I believe. And that's why we see an indictment for public consumption like this. This is an unusual indictment. Look, if there's an advantage to defense lawyers to have all of these details, you know how to prepare cross-examination now. But I do think it's unfair to have then a protective order in place so the defense lawyers can't really respond to this in the way that the indictment is read.
1: I'd like your response, to Let's focus in on the charge that was added, Charge 32, about the document that is about an attack plan on Iran. Because here is how former President Trump Described that encounter, caught on audio tape, which by the way, CNN obtained. We just played it for our viewers. Here's how Trump described that, tried to defend himself in an interview with Fox
14: News.
4: There was no document. That was a massive amount of papers and everything else talking about Iran and other things. And it may have been held up or may not, but that was not a document. I didn't have a document per se. There was nothing to declassify. These were newspaper stories, magazine stories, and articles.
1: Prosecutors say now they have the document. If you're in trial, you see them present this into evidence. You then listen to the audio tape of Trump waving the document around before all of those people. How do you defend that? How is that not criminal, if that's what happens?
23: Sure, I'd have to know what the source is and the basis is for them saying that that is the document and that there was a document. Right now, I take President Trump at his word like I take any defendant at his or her word. And that's what the presumption of innocence means, quite frankly. Okay.
1: I'd say Mark Meadows also wrote about the document in in his book. Um, What about finally the charges against Nada and Dale Oliveira? You think they're being overbearing prosecutors here. Why? Because they allege Dale Oliveira, by the way, the new defendant lied to them in this voluntary interview that he saw nothing after they alleged that he was helping move these boxes around.
23: Right So remember, it's the prosecutors who bring these allegations. They basically draw it up for the grand jury. And so they decide who lied and who told, told the truth. And often what we see in many cases over many years, including some members of this prosecution team, is that they decide a lie means that the person won't cooperate and give their version of events, or because something consistent with their version of events. They have tremendous leverage. They have all of the leverage in this case. I'll tell you right now. I've got a sanctions hearing requested against two of the prosecutors on Mr. Smith's team. Um, uh, Listen, we don't know what's happening until this case goes to trial, quite frankly. Mm -hmm.
1: Final question for you is the separate meeting that Trump's lawyers had with Jack Smith's team yesterday on a separate potential indictment that has to do with January 6th and alleged election interference and attempts to overturn the election. Trump said on True Social, essentially, my lawyers went there and they told the prosecutors this would be bad for the country to bring. Do you think that's a valid reason not to charge?
23: I think that's some, something like a you know, prudential principle of prosecution for them to consider. I do think, you know, this is where you consider how have we handled situations like this in the past and so on, which I don't think is just whataboutism. I think it's equal application of the law. I don't know, quite frankly, why they went in there. The idea that these two lawyers, Blanche and Lauro, we're going to convince Jack Smith's team not to prosecute in the hour that they had to talk to him after months of investigation. To me, is either naive or misguided, and to show your defense would, I think, be particularly misguided. But mm. you know, difference of opinion, I suppose.
1: Different lawyers, David Schoen. We appreciate the time this morning. Thank you.
23: Thank you. Great
2: interview, Poppy, this morning. Concerns are mounting about the capabilities. Of some of the oldest members of Congress at 90, Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein is the oldest U.S. lawmaker. She has been in frail health since a shingles diagnosis earlier this year. Since her return to the Capitol, she has appeared confused at times, including yesterday when the senator had to be corrected and told to vote during a Senate hearing.
3: The clerk will call the roll.
5: Senator Feinstein.
3: Um,
14: say aye. Pardon me. Aye. Yeah. Uh, to say. I I would like to support a yes vote on this. Um, it provides 823 billion. That's an increase of 26 billion for the Department of Defense, and <laughs> it funds priorities submitted.
5: Yeah. Just say aye.
14: Okay. Just. Aye.
2: This, of course, comes on the heels of Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who is 81, who froze earlier this week in the midst of a news conference that happened on Wednesday, froze for 23 seconds. He was then escorted away from reporters. He did return afterwards to answer questions. as Lauren Fox joining us live on Capitol Hill with more. Look, it's a delicate conversation, but it is one that is being had more and more out in the open. What are you hearing from Senator Feinstein's office about that moment in yes. particular?
16: Erica, it is a really delicate conversation and it is not really new. To- to the U.S. Senate. There have been senators in the past who have had cognitive issues in the U.S. Senate. There are senators who have aged here in a way that really made it hard for them to do their jobs. But Senator Feinstein's office reacting to that moment in the Appropriations Committee, saying it was really chaotic in the room that they were voting and they were really switching quickly between debate and a final vote on the defense appropriations bills, and that the senator just got confused. A spokesman from her office said the senator was preoccupied didn't realize debate had just ended and a vote was called she started to give a statement was informed it was a, a vote and then cast her vote and you see that moment where her staffer comes up to her whispers in her ear that it's time to actually vote and then you hear patty murray who's the chairman of that committee saying just say aye That is obviously a moment where Dianne Feinstein is really trying to find her way in the committee. But we should note she's been out for several months. She was out of the U.S. Senate while she was undergoing shingles and complications from shingles. She returned in June after there were some Democrats who actually called for her to resign, arguing that her absence was having an effect on the pace at which the Biden administration could confirm judicial nominees. But obviously, in the wake of what we saw from mcconnell earlier this week there's a lot of questions about whether or not there needs to be some kind of age cutoff for members of congress i will note that many of mcconnell's colleagues republicans and democrats said that they have full confidence that mcconnell can do the job erica lauren box appreciate the reporting thank you
1: Ronnie james back home resting after suffering a cardiac arrest or earlier this week during basketball practice We're going to show you the traumatic 911 call that's next.
2: Some good news to start your Friday morning. 18-year-old Bronny James, the son of NBA star LeBron James, is out of the hospital and resting. This, of course, just stays after suffering a cardiac arrest at basketball practice. CNN has obtained the 911 call from an individual who called to ask for that ambulance initially. Take a listen.
4: Yeah, I'm now. Okay, all right, sir. All right, sir, I'm gonna send help there. to okay, and uh, where exactly are you? Yes, yes, okay, yes, I'll wait for you. All right, sir, Uh, we're gonna send help. Okay, your all right. telephone is, hold on, don't hang up, sir. Don't hang up. Your telephone is. Yes. Okay, let's get next to him, please. Okay, h- how old is he? All
7: right. Get,
4: get next to him with the phone, okay? Get next get to him. him. Get next to him, please, with the phone. Okay, I need, I need I need to find out if, is there a doctor on scene with them or a registered nurse? No, there's no doctor. Okay, help is already on. Help is already on the way. Okay, get an exam,
2: please. CNN has not been able to independently verify whether medical staff was on the scene at the time of the call. You heard they were asked there about a doctor or a nurse. Joining us now is CNN Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Good so, good morning, Sanjay. So, based on what you hear there in the call, everybody very calm, but they want to get that phone next to Bronny James. What else are you picking up in those moments?
24: Yeah, I think I think that's a big thing. You see how fast this moves. That was less than 30 seconds and you know, they're saying get next to him. I think uh, and some of that was redacted. You could hear sort of gaps in the in the call, but they want him to check for a pulse. They hopefully someone has already sent for a defibrillator. And they may have asked that person and instructed that person that was on the phone how to do CPR. Um, so we know whatever happened, and, you know, again, that's just a portion of it. It was a fast resuscitation. And I don't know how long it took for paramedics to get there, but clearly it was a fast resuscitation because by the time Bronnie got to the hospital, we now know, mm-hmm. he, was, he was conscious, doing a lot better, and able to be released from the ICU quickly.
1: And how promising that he was released so quickly.
24: Well, there's two things. He got released from the hospital, which obviously is good news. I don't read into that as much because sometimes people will keep uh, patients in the hospital longer just out of an abundance of caution. I think the, the, the really good news, encouraging sign, was how quickly he was released from the intensive care unit. Yeah. Goes there, cardiac arrest. What does that mean? They mean that he's stable and they think that his heart function is normal. So that's a good sign. Doesn't mean there's not uh, investigations to be done, but that was a really good sign.
2: Um, we don't yet know what caused cardiac arrest, but what would doctors be looking for to try to determine that, Sanjay?
24: You know, th- there's, there's a few sort of broad categories of things. You know, I'll just show you, you know, they, they would want to look at if there was something anatomically uh, different about his heart in some way. Some of the large blood vessels, some of the muscle that involves putting an ultrasound on the chest and taking a look. We understand, we've learned that he had that done a couple months ago as a prospective player, and it was normal. They'd also want to look at the electrical patterns in the heart uh, to see if there was any kind of abnormal electrical pattern. He had an EKG done in the past, which we also heard was normal, but now they may want to check those electrical rhythms over a longer period of time uh, just to see, look, is there some abnormality that we're not catching on a single photo, if you will, of the heart? So, it, you know, that, that's, that's something that can be done on an outpatient basis, and he's probably going to have done. Blood tests, things like that as well, but, uh, and they can take a little bit of time to get an answer, but those are the types of tests.
1: Most important thing is that he's Okay, that he survived this. But if he chooses to go back and play basketball at the level he was playing, um, when will you know and how do you determine if he can and what the health risks may be going forward?
24: Some of this is going to be a a combination of science and judgment. You know, they're going to do these tests. Let's say all the tests come back normal uh, and there's no clear underlying cause as to what happened here. Um, I think there may still be a period of time where they just want to be careful, monitor him and see make sure that there's nothing else. But keep in mind this ha- first of all, you know from a 2015 study, this happens six to 7, thousand times a year among young athletes. and um, there can be a variety mm. of reasons. If you look across the board, there's about a 15% chance of uh, recurrence within the first year. Um, so, but that's across the board for all causes. In his case, there, since there's the testing that we heard from a couple of months ago was normal, and if everything comes back normal, I think he has a much higher chance of returning. You know, mm-hmm. one of his teammates, Vince Yuchiku, same sort of thing happened to him last year, wow. uh, and he was back playing within a few months, I think seven months. Yeah, hoping
1: for the best. Full recovery, obviously. Uh, Dr. Gupta, thank you, Sanjay. Appreciate it. You
24: got it. Thank you.
2: Uh, This just happened to CNN. Barriers are being put up outside the courthouse in Fulton County, Georgia. The sheriff's office says it is proactively coordinating with agencies to enhance security during high profile proceedings. What does that tell us about potential charges related to Donald Trump and his allies' efforts to overturn the election in Georgia? And a police officer
1: going beyond the call of duty, reconnecting with a boy he took to child services five years ago after finding him living in the streets. That story's next.
12: As like a realtor, I grew I realized that is took the best course for my future. It almost feels like my career is complete
24: because of something that could have been so bad.
1: A reunion years in the making, a police officer in California who went beyond the call of duty to help a homeless middle schooler. The two lost touch until they got an expected and unexpected chance to meet again years later. Our Camilla Bernal reports from California.
25: A typical 17 year old and a typical summer workout. But five years ago, Alex Nasario's life was anything but.
12: I knew I was homeless. I knew I didn't have shoes or a shelter or a place to call home.
25: Something that the Starbucks employees in Escondido, California
24: noticed. They informed me that there's a young boy that would hang out at the store till they closed and then they noticed that he'd go across the street and would be alone at the Jack in the box.
25: Then officer John Larson found Alex alone.
24: I actually put myself out. Uh, would dispatch him and went to go contact him and just start chatting with him. Told him he was in trouble.
25: A conversation that both would remember for years to come. What's up, bud? Hi. Officer Larson knew Alex needed help.
8: You know, old times are tough.
25: He dropped Far. him off with Child Welfare Services, but confidentiality rules prevented him from keeping in touch.
23: Once
24: he was out of my hands, I called multiple times. Different months, just see if I got lucky and got slipped through the cracks.
25: But Officer Larson never gave up.
24: How's family?
12: Family's been good right now.
25: Last December, another member of the police department found Alex and gave Officer Larson the good news. I like started terrible. Oh my God, I can't believe it. After five years, Uh, the two met for lunch for another unforgettable conversation.
12: It felt pretty surreal since I didn't expect like Officer Larson to try to find me.
25: And not only did he find him. When I met you, you were already middle school, right? He attended Alex's high school graduation, a barbecue with his foster family, and promised a forever friendship.
12: As a older, I realized that Officer Larson took the best course for my future. I love him more now.
25: The admiration is mutual. It almost feels like my career is complete. Alex wants to be a graphic designer.
8: You took a bad situation and you turned it into everything positive.
25: He says that thanks to Officer Larson and others, he has the physical and mental strength to overcome challenges and pursue his dreams, stronger than me.
24: <laughs> he made all these decisions on his own uh, to succeed. I think every time we have a good success in, in our in my line of career, it, it's always a great validation.
25: Camila Bernal, CNN, Escondido,
2: California. That's such a great story. I love that. Love it. Uh, New charges against former President Trump. Federal federal prosecutors now alleging he tried to get security camera footage at Mar-a-Lago erased. President Trump's former attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen, joins us next.
1: Morning, everyone. So glad you're with us on this very busy Friday. So happy to have you by my side. Always, Ms. A pleasure, Hill, my friend. So huge developments overnight in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case. Donald Trump is facing new felony charges, including explosive allegations that he tried to get surveillance video deleted at Mar-a-Lago after it was subpoenaed. We're going to speak with Trump's former fixer, Michael Cohen.
2: All of this comes as the former president, of course, is pushing for a second term, set to speak in Iowa tonight. He'll be sharing the stage with other rivals for the GOP nomination. So the big question, will they pounce on the new indictment or come to Trump's defense? Nearly half the
1: United States this morning under dangerous heat again as extreme temperatures spread to the northeast. This hour of CNN This Morning starts now.
2: This morning, Donald Trump is facing new felony charges as this classified documents case against him grows. The special counsel now accusing the former president of trying to get surveillance video from Mar-a-Lago deleted, trying to get that video deleted right after it was subpoenaed. His longtime valet, Walt Nada, and Mar-a-Lago's property manager, Carlos de Oliveira, are accused of helping in that alleged scheme, all of it happening last summer a grand jury demanded the video just weeks after Nada allegedly moved around boxes of highly classified documents to hide them from federal investigators and Trump's own attorney. Prosecutors say Nada abruptly changed his travel plans after that subpoena, secretly headed to Mar-a-Lago to deal with all of this. This new indictment claims that
1: NADA met with Diolivera. They allegedly went down to Mar-a-Lago's security booth where surveillance video is displayed and they walked around the property with a flashlight pointing out where the cameras were located. Just after that, investigators say Diolivera brought the club's IT expert into a private room and this was their conversation according to what is written in this superseding indictment. Diolivera told the IT expert their conversation should remain between the two of them. He asked how long that server kept footage... And the IT expert said he thought it was around 45 days. De Oliveira then said, "Quote the boss wants the server deleted." When the IT expert pushed back, De Oliveira reiterated, "The boss wants it gone," and then asked, "What are we going to do?" Let's go to our colleague, CNN political correspondent Sarah Murray. Timing here, Sarah, is everything, right?
3: Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, as you look through this indictment, you can see what was going on that may have given these employees concerns about having so much of it caught on tape. You know, as you pointed out, Donald Trump's now facing two counts related to this alleged scheme to delete the surveillance information. And we now have Carlos de Oliveira added as a defendant. But let's look at the timeline. I mean, May 11th is when the Trump team gets this subpoena for any documents with classified markings. It's 45 days before we really get into to the meat of the sort of scheme to try to delete the surveillance footage. But throughout May, you can see these boxes getting moved out of the storage room. In the indictment, it says on May 22nd, one box is moved out. On May 24th, three boxes are moved out. On May 30th, 50 boxes are moved. And on June 1st, 11 boxes are moved. This is happening by Trump employees who are talking to Trump throughout. On June 2nd, 30 boxes get moved back into this storage room by Walt Nada, a Trump employee, as well as Carlos de Oliveira. That is the same day that a Trump attorney is going to come search that storage room for any documents with classified markings to try to satisfy the demands of the subpoena. On June 3rd, the government comes to pick up those responsive documents. They notice that there are these security cameras around there. And then on June 24th, the grand jury issues a subpoena to the Trump team for the surveillance footage from those security f- uh, cameras. So let's dive into what was going on on June 24th a little bit. So again, this is the day that Trump's team gets this subpoena for the security, this new security footage. 125 Trump's attorney talks to Donald Trump about the subpoena. At 3.45, Walt Nada, again, this Trump employee, is informed that Donald Trump wants to see him. Less than two hours after that, Walt Nata, who we know is traveling with Donald Trump all the time, changes his travel plans to go to Palm Beach instead of traveling with Donald Trump. He's very cagey about this situation. You know, when you read the indictment, he's sending shushing emojis to people. So it's June 27th where we really get into some of the meat about this alleged plot to delete the surveillance footage. That's when Carlos de Oliveira is told the footage lasts about 45 days, and he tells another Trump employee that the boss wants the footage deleted. So when you look over this timeline, guys, you can see why there were a variety of activities going on, moving boxes out of the storage room that never make their way back in, ahead of the attorney searching the storage room. That people might have been, you know, a little concerned about being caught on camera.
1: Sarah, thank you for that because it helps us really understand the timeline and. Count 32 in the superseding indictment is about that document that got so much attention, the Iran potential attack plan. Prosecutors say they have it.
3: That's right. I mean, we've talked a lot about this document because, of course, we obtained the the tape of Donald Trump discussing this document with two writers who were working on uh, a book about Mark Meadows, as well as other staffers who did not have security clearance. But this added count against Donald Trump for willful retention of documents is the government finally acknowledging we do have this document. We are charging the former president with retaining it. Take a listen to how Donald Trump talks about this document when he is in this meeting in July 2021 in Bedminster
4: this was the defense department and him wow we looked at some this was him this wasn't done by me this was him Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff it's pages long
5: Mm
4: -hmm. wait a minute let's see Uh, here. yeah i just found isn't that amazing this totally wins my case you know Mm -hmm. except it is like highly confidential (laughs)
3: Now, it is particularly notable that prosecutors added this charge now because, of course, since the tape emerged, since the initial indictment, we've seen Donald Trump out there publicly saying that was all bravado. There was no actual document I was showing off to people in this meeting. Prosecutors making very clear in this new version of the indictment that there was, in fact, a a document that they believe Donald Trump was showing people there.
2: Sarah Murray, thank you. Thanks. Joining us now, Donald Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen. He's also the author of Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against His Critics, and the host of the podcast, "Maya Culpa, also the co-host of the podcast, Political Breakdown, Indictment Watch. Michael, good to have you with us this morning. As As we look at this new superseding indictment, as Sarah just went through that very important timeline there, what struck me is... What allegedly happened with Walt Mata shifting these travel plans abruptly, going down to Mar-a-Lago to talk to folks down there. In your role, when you worked for the former president, is this something you would have been dispatched to do?
12: Oh, there's no doubt about it. This is so part of the Trump playbook uh, that when I heard it on television, it didn't surprise me at all. Everybody running around You got to take care of the boss, do what the boss says. You know, you may remember, Erica, I had said on this program a long time ago when these indictment first started coming out that this is not this is not unusual for Donald Trump to want to get rid of documentation to delete stuff. And the real question that we have to ask is what documents does he have? What documents did he show to people? You know, is this his? Is it his ego? Was it in order to be able to show off with letters like from Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un? And the answer to that is no. And I stated that I believe that there's more nefarious reasons that Donald is keeping these documents. And I'm I'm shocked and I'm appalled that there are still people that are supporting him. When you, under, when you must understand that he is placing our national security... In, co- in complete chaos simply for his own personal benefit.
2: And, and if there is more, it will be interesting if, in fact, those come out. You raise interesting and important concerns, as you point out. I, I want to get your take on a couple of other things, though, because as you say, this is a page right from the playbook. One thing that does stand out as rather unusual is a 24-minute phone call. Can you recall Donald Trump having a 24-minute phone call with someone? And if so, why would he stay on the phone so long?
12: Yeah, I've had twenty-four minute um, phone calls with Donald. But when you were his over,
16: attorney,
12: um, it was per- sometimes personal. Sometimes it was um, it was over issues uh, that needed to be resolved, and he would go sometimes into lengthy discussion in terms of what he wanted done with pretty, um, you know, with real specificity. Which is why it would take longer. I mean, twenty-four minutes for Donald is an eternity. Um, It doesn't happen often. So it's obviously about something that is of real significance Mm -hmm. and importance.
2: So significant, but not entirely surprising to you that it would last that long. Um, Loyalty, as as many of us have discussed with Mm -hmm. you and so many people have also discussed, is key For Donald Trump, I want to go through some of what we learned in this superseding indictment, which alleges that in the weeks after the FBI found the documents in the storage room, that Walt Nauda reached out to a Trump employee to ask, quote, someone just wants to make sure Carlos is good, referring to Carlos de Oliveira, who again is the new defendant now with the superseding indictment. The employee allegedly told Nauda that De Oliveira was loyal and wouldn't do anything to affect his relationship with Trump. The information was then relayed. And according to the indictment, that very same day, Trump himself, called de Oliveira, told him he would get him an attorney. I know you've talked about what your loyalty to Donald Trump cost you. What would you tell Carlos de Oliveira in this moment?
12: <laughs> I've, I'm, I'm Sadly, I've made this statement to many different people, starting with like Rudy Coludi, Giuliani and so many others. Walt Nada, Run. Carl, run. Run as fast. First of all, he's not going to get you an attorney. He's not going to pay for the attorney. You may have just seen that with the settlement that I just uh, was engaged in. He's not going to pay for it unless you stay on message. And if you stay on message, you will end up behind bars. There's no doubt about it. You know, Why One did- of the things that Donald also doesn't understand is he doesn't understand technology at all. When he thinks that... You know, you can just delete it from the local server. What he's missing is the fact that there's another server, the main server, which was held at the Trump Organization property, that somehow everything was downloaded to. And the fact that he wanted to get rid of this information, which in law is called spoliation, After he had a subpoena, this is really damaging stuff, but it just doesn't seem to be damaging to that 36, 37 percent of the GOP Mm -hmm. loyalists that no matter what he does, they are standing behind him. I wonder if they'll stand behind him if, God forbid, there's another, you know, attack on America as a direct result of his negligence.
2: You know, as as we look to see how this plays out and what the reaction is, especially tonight in Iowa You lay out the consequences that you have felt, obviously, from your loyalty and what others have dealt with as well. How is it that Donald Trump continues to bring people into his orbit and to garner that loyalty? What is he what is he providing? Maybe it's a promise of an attorney, which you say he's not going to pay those fees. What is it? What do you think he's promising people?
12: Look, it's not as. um, devious as you might think the man is a cult leader plain and simple and he has managed you know to indoctrinate into this cult Um, many millions of people many millions of americans who are parting with their hard-earned dollars to give it to a billionaire so he could fix an old 757 or to pay for his own legal fees or his own responsibilities why we do it why i did it I don't have any, I don't really have a good enough answer to give to you that would satisfy anyone, myself, or even my family that still ask me the same question. Mm-hmm. There's something, there's something about ourselves that we were following um, that I can't explain. It, it's something that you would probably need a cult expert, you know, to explain on what is it that they say and what is it that they do mm-hmm. and what we're missing ourselves. That causes us to stay uh, in this cult.
2: Michael Cohen, appreciate the insight. Thank you.
1: Let's bring in CNN senior analyst, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Ellie Honig, CNN political commentator and former Trump White House communications director, Alyssa Farah Griffin, and CNN political commentator and former special advisor to President Obama, Van Jones. Alyssa, to you first, um, just because you worked in the Trump White House so closely with him, <clears throat> but your relationship with Trump, it was different than Michael Cohen, obviously, who's had. Litigation with him. Do you, do you sort of second what you just heard?
20: Yeah, very much so. I mean, I'm still shocked. At, uh, you know, to this day, how many people remain loyal to Donald Trump? There, he has he has an air about him that kind of commands loyalty. It commands people wanting his approval. I was honestly very shocked when I went to work for him in the West Wing and saw how many people just wanted his approval. And there was like there was lack of kind of wanting to advise him at times because you might get on his bad side he's very good at people keeping people in line but he also uses incentives to do that he has a good way at keeping people on his team and loyalty and this was by design by the way with these individuals i mean it's textbook donald trump he's going to lower level people people asking to do his dirty work people who aren't necessarily going to have the constitution to stand up to a former maybe future president and he knows what he's doing when he does that Man. And, and as, as we watch this play out, what's
2: interesting, too, with all these new details that we're hearing, um, is is how it is this playbook, right, that, that that Michael talked about, that you're saying in terms of what you saw, Ellie. Does that figure in at all in this case into a pattern here?
18: Well, so it's so interesting when we consider the notion of loyalty, because when we're looking at what is Walt Nauta going to do, what is Carlos de Oliveira now, the new defendant, going to do, the decision whether to cooperate with the government, which I've been on the other side of many times, is really complicated. And it comes down to a sometimes a financial decision, a philosophical decision, a moral decision. And I think what Donald Trump may have recognized now, which Michael is a good example of, is it's really hard to break away from Donald Trump and, and sort of come clean and find yourself on the other side because there's a penalty, mm-hmm. right? Michael Cohen was attacked. Michael Cohen lost a lot of money. Michael Cohen went to jail. Yeah. Donald Trump hasn't as of this point. And I think Donald Trump perhaps made the calculation that it's going to be much harder for these guys who are maintenance workers at my staff. They're not going to have the means. They're not going to have the motive. And so it's safer if I do my dirty work through them, through people who are perhaps more headstrong or better positioned, like a Michael Cohen, it looks like he may have had an adjustment in his strategy there.
1: Um. Not only do you know politics inside and out, you also went to a pretty good law school, <laughs> 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 Mr. Yale. What do you? Oh, what do you? <laughs> right here. What do you think? What, what did you think when you read um, the superseding indictment, sort of on the legal side, but then also the politics of what this does in the party?
22: Well, I mean, I just wanted to stay a little bit with, with the human factor. I do think, um, you know, it's tough if you're just a regular, everyday person and you get a job with a celebrity, you get a job with a big politician, and all of a sudden. You know, your mom's proud of you. You've got cool stuff to talk about at Thanksgiving dinner. You know, everybody's asking you questions. And, and you've got a little bit of an authority. And then suddenly that person gets in trouble. Well, what do you do? The alternative is I'm going to jump up back into the ocean of anonymity where I don't have any special standing and maybe don't have support. And maybe I get in trouble. The law comes after me and nobody's going to help me out because my cousin can't help me. Nobody can help me. So I, I think we sometimes we're, we're tough on people. Uh, who who hang on to the to the to, to the to the rich and powerful people reading People magazine, all kind of stuff, just trying to get a sniff of a little bit of celebrity. That's such an um, interesting yeah.
1: point not to interject, but David yeah. Schoen, who you know um, defended Trump in the second impeachment trial, mm-hmm. basically said that he believes that Nada and DeLay are here. This is overbearing to charge them in this way. Mm-hmm. Sort of gets to
22: look. Look, I think I think you got to go after the little people to get the big people. In other words, I think that the, one of the concerns that people have always, the criminal justice system, is it's always the little, the little people do the big time mm-hmm. and the big people do no yeah. time. And so hopefully we're going to be seeing something different in this situation.
2: Yes, yeah, somebody well, also knows know something about.
20: <laughs> I, I think DOJ is going to need to, in making this case, kind of deal with the PR of that because I could see how on the outside folks could look in and be like, this is just a maintenance worker. This is a guy who's getting, you know, coaxed for Donald Trump. To communicate all the opportunities that they had to cooperate yeah. and to work with uh, with the Department of Justice and do the right thing, but I mean, couldn't have said it better than Van. There's a lot of pressure, and people have also seen how Donald Trump turns on people and can sick a mob on you. It can have your life threatened. It can look put man. you in a dangerous Michael. Position. Look at Michael, what, Michael Cohen. Yeah, yes.
2: or Alyssa Fair.
20: <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not yeah, fun being on the receiving yeah. end.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Stick around. We will have a little bit more. Also, tonight, uh, we're going to hear from President Trump as more than a dozen Republican presidential hopefuls will descend on Iowa for the annual and annual GOP fundraiser there. One of those
1: Republicans is Tim Scott, who responded yesterday to Governor Ron DeSantis comments about how his state's new standards for teaching black history include...
13: There's no silver lining in freedom, in slavery. The truth is that anything you can learn, that any benefits that people suggest you had during slavery, you would have had as a free person.
1: To Iowa, that's where former President Trump is heading tonight for his big campaign appearance, his first big one, where he'll speak after facing these new charges in the classified documents trial. He's one of 13 Republican candidates set to speak at the annual GOP dinner there. The Lincoln dinner, each candidate gets 10 minutes to make their pitch to donors with former President Trump taking the stage last. Jessica Dean in Des Moines, Iowa with more. Good morning. What do you expect tonight?
10: Well, good morning, Poppy. I think we can expect uh, many, many, many minutes of speeches. You just laid out the math there, 13 candidates, 10 minutes each. But beyond that, I just want to give everyone kind of a snapshot of where this race stands in Iowa. And just reminding everyone, this is uh, the first votes. This is where the caucuses will be in Jan- on January 15th. So it's going to give us a good idea of where this race is headed. And there was a new Fox Business poll over the weekend. It shows former President Donald Trump with 46 percent out ahead of everybody here in Iowa, then Ron DeSantis at 16, Tim Scott at 11, and then kind of everyone else. So that really sets the stage for tonight to give you an idea of how much these other candidates, aside from Donald Trump, want to break through with these voters. We've been following along with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis over the last day as he set out on a bus tour across rural Iowa that's continuing today before this dinner. That comes after he had this reset of his campaign, where he laid off roughly about a third of his staff, citing budget concerns. Uh, His campaign officials admitting to some missteps in terms of messaging and fundraising and they're really trying to get back and focused here in Iowa. We heard from him this message of electability and really the only time he was talking about his chief rival rival Trump is when he was asked about him by a member of the media and he said look. I won in Florida by 20, Trump only won there by three. He's really making this case that he is someone who can win in 2024 in a general election by winning over independent voters. He talks about what he did in Florida. In the meantime, the other candidates in this race are looking to see kind of how DeSantis's reset might affect them. I obtained a memo from the Super PAC supporting former Vice President Mike Pence, who's had trouble getting traction in this race. They're really looking at what's going on with DeSantis is perhaps an opportunity opportunity for Pence to be more aggressive, to maybe scoop up some of those voters that they believe DeSantis could be losing. But again, this is very fluid right now. We are some six months out, a little less than six months out, uh, Poppy and Erica. But with former President Trump so far ahead, it's going to take a big moment for these candidates to break through. And anytime they get together like this, they hope this is that moment. And look, all eyes are going to be on the former president with all the news that we've heard in the last 24 hours. As you mentioned, Poppy, it's going to be the first time we're seeing him in person tonight uh, since all of that. And it really just sucks up so much oxygen in that room. Poppy and Erica. 130 minutes. Hope they get cut off right at 10 minutes (laughs)
1: each. Jessica
2: (laughs) Dean, thank you. They say they're gonna cut those mics. We'll see. All right, yeah. keep your keep your stopwatch running and report back.
1: That's what the control room does to me when we're going
2: into yeah. break. They're no. doing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Just Former President Trump, understandably railing against these charges on social media, crying election interference, prosecutorial misconduct, claiming his position in the 2024 presidential election polls has made him a target of the Justice Department. Our panel is back with us CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig, CNN political commentator Alyssa Farah Griffin, and CNN political commentator Van Jones. As we look at all of this, uh, look, we sort of knew what the message was going to be, Van, from the former president. They're attacking me. The Justice Department is corrupt. Uh, it does tend to help him, though, we must say. Yeah. Last, last we've seen.
22: Sure.
2: How do you, I mean, what do you expect to hear from tonight? Can he leave this behind?
22: I don't think or he is wants this to. The message? <laughs> he's, he's why on, should he? He's on this pogo stick and having a great time with it. I don't know why he'd hop off My, up my gosh,
1: pogo sticks blast to my back to my childhood. I was
4: childhood. never able to master that one. Well, yeah.
22: well, well Trump is mastering this one. <laughs> um, I mean, I, it, this is not hurting him at all uh, with the people he's most concerned about right now. The general election is a long time from now. Uh, look, you remember O.J. Simpson? Mm-hmm. Uh, this, you know, this guy was nefarious, did horrible stuff. Black community rallied around and why? Because not because we agreed with him, but because we thought the people coming after him were terrible. Mm-hmm. We thought the LAPD was terrible. Mm-hmm. And so if you're trying to understand what's happening with the Trump base right now and you're African American, just remember back with OJ. Like sometimes it's not that it's not your guy. You think you know, oh yeah, you know your guy's wrong, you just think the system is even more right. wrong.
20: No, well said. I mean, a factor that you can't ignore in all this is Donald Trump's continued standing in the polls is partially a result of the fact that his the other GOP contenders are not taking him on directly. Mm-hmm. I should note Asa Hutchinson, Will Hurd and Chris Christie, of course, are. But the main players and I mean, I've advised many political candidates the idea that you wouldn't take your chief opponent being indicted and run with it and say they can't win a general. This is radioactive. He's going to lose to Joe Biden. But they're not. So I'm curious to see if there's going to be a change in the tone. If you're someone like a Mike Pence who has kind of struggled to get traction and who did really differentiate himself on January 6th, this could be a moment to say, I take national security seriously. This is beyond the pale. We need to move a different direction. Any of those characters kind of need to. There's not some it's not like rolling out a policy proposal is going to break through and they're going to somehow overtake Donald Trump.
18: It's interesting and sometimes a little awkward to watch some of the candidates try to walk that tightrope on the issue of these ongoing indictments. I mean, there is the Chris Christie who's unabashedly critical. But Mike Pence, for example, whenever he's asked, his stock response is Donald Trump was wrong. I did not have the authority to throw out the votes. Right. But that's not really the issue. I mean, no one disputes (laughs) that. But was Donald Trump wrong with all the stuff he did for weeks leading up to January 6th? Was he wrong to tweet about Mike Pence while the riot was going on? And and so there's this delicate dance. I I can't quite do the political calculus, but from a legal perspective, I'm thinking, boy, they are really trying to thread a needle here.
1: Switching gears here uh, to someone we're going to hear from tonight also, Senator Tim Scott. And we've now heard his first response to reporters. I think Politico asked him about, what about Ron DeSantis saying there were some any benefits to slavery? Here's how Tim Scott responded.
13: There's there's no silver lining in freedom, in in slavery. The truth is that anything you can learn, any benefits that people suggest you had during slavery, you would have had as a free person. Uh, What slavery was was really about separating families, about mutilating humans, and even raping their wives. It was just devastating, so I would hope that every person in our country and certainly running for president would appreciate that. And listen, people have bad days. Sometimes they regret what they say and we should uh, ask them again to clarify their positions.
22: Importance of hearing that from Tim Scott in this moment. Yeah, look, I mean, that, that, that's Tim, Tim Scott. You know, uh, he's not afraid to talk about these issues. I think in terms that most people can understand, probably gives a little bit too much grace uh, to Ron DeSantis, if that's who he is. I mean, it's like, yeah, everybody has a bad day. Sometimes you wind up praising slavery. I mean, it's <laughs> a little bit more than a bad day. Um, but, you know, it's, it's deeply offensive uh, what DeSantis is saying. Uh, take, I don't know, a child sexual uh, predation and trafficking, which is something that the right wing is concerned about. What if I got here and said, well, you know, maybe your your, your piano teacher molested you, but you learned how to play the piano. Uh, maybe your, your football coach molested you, but you learned how to throw a football. Would that be acceptable? I think people would be shocked mm-hmm. to hear somebody say something that stupid and tone deaf and horrible. But... That's what DeSantis is doing, and I think it should be disqualifying. The party of Lincoln, the party of Lincoln should not have somebody apologizing for slavery anywhere near them.
1: Can I just ask you, because tonight's the Lincoln dinner, Mm -hmm. and the the campaign that Tim Scott promised to run is a positive one. Mm -hmm. It's so in contrast to some of the ads we've seen from other PACs, DeSantis's PAC, et cetera, Trump. Mm -hmm. But he's doing really well, favorability, he's rising in the polls. Hey, listen. Can, can you win on a message like that, win a yeah. nomination on a positive message?
22: I, I, I hope so, and I'll have to hear from my, my Republican colleague, but I hope so. And look, there have been these moments in the Republican Party uh, where, you know, there was a, a black candidate, whether it you was know, Herman Cain or, or uh, you know, and others, who have gotten the attention they couldn't hold on to the football. Mm-hmm. There will be a moment that will be Tim Scott's moment. It's just a question of will he be able to hold on to the football? Mm-hmm.
20: I think that's right. I think if anyone is going to have a big moment and potentially overtake Ron DeSantis, it will be Tim Scott. He's got the money to do it. He's got the story. He's got the backing, support of other Republican senators. So I'll be watching to see how he does. Yeah.
1: Thank you all very much. We appreciate it.
20: Just ahead here, uh, we have a new
2: statement actually into CNN. Senator Mitch McConnell's office says the minority leader plans to serve out the rest of this Congress. The statement does not address his plans after the next Congress, which is set to begin, of course, in 2025. McConnell up for re-election in 2026. Also, your gas
1: getting more expensive. You're probably noticing it. Highest level since last November. Our chief business correspondent, Christine Romans, here to tell us when it might go down and why. Your gas is getting more expensive. Gas prices have hit an eight-month high with the national average for regular unleaded, now around $373 a gallon. The increase comes as excessive heat is leading to outages at U.S. refineries. Let's talk to our chief business
21: correspondent Christine Romans about this. Good morning. Hi. And your Hi. gas prices have been coming down for months, and so people are starting to notice. When they yes. fill up at the at the at the gas station, that it's more, more expensive, three seventy three a gallon. You know that's still a lot less than it was a year ago. We were at four twenty eight a year ago. Remember those record high gas prices last summer that were so uh, frightening. So they've come off from them, but why are they bubbling up a little bit now? A couple of things: that excessive heat. You can't run a refinery full tilt when it's one hundred and fifteen. You know, in the with the uh, with the heat index just like people can't be outside and can't be working. that So it's, that's one of the problems. The other problem is you've got commodity prices in general that have been rising because of what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, the Russians have pulled out of a really important a grain export deal. So that's, that's what's happening
2: here. So you're starting to see those gas prices rise
21: a little bit. So those are
2: two big factors that are tough to control in yeah. many respects. We're hoping the heat backs right. off a little bit. Um, will that be enough? Well, this is part
21: of the inflation picture, right? We're going to see for the next eight weeks whether the Fed thinks inflation is under control and can stop raising interest rates. But this is an important part of the inflation picture, the gas part of it, and it's starting to rise a little bit here. Again, but well Well below last year's levels.
2: Context is key. Yeah,
1: Context is key. Okay, Christine, stick around. We have another huge story to talk to you about. This one started 24 years ago.
21: (laughs) No one wants to stand in the way if Argentina (laughs) is the next emerging markets domino to fall.
1: Who is that brilliant beauty, even more beautiful today? That is Christine Romans, making her (laughs) CNN debut in 1999. Since then, she has been an integral part of not just this team, but this network. She Mm -hmm. is CNN. As the chief business correspondent, anchor of Early Start, she has covered six presidential elections, a dot-com boom and bust, the September 11th attack, a housing bubble, financial crisis, a global pandemic. In between it, she fit in a wedding, Mm And three beautiful baby boys, three books, and 10 years of 3 a.m. wake-up calls. And today is her final day with us at CNN. I'm at a loss for words because you have meant so much to all of us Mm -hmm. and to this network.
21: Well, I feel like everybody here, these guys included are all our friends. You know, this has been a real, I am full of gratitude for the 24 years here. Seriously. I mean, this has been an amazing place to work and I've learned so much that green reporter that you saw there. I mean, I was, (laughs) that was the Argentine debt crisis. I was, you know, learning everything (laughs) I could about, about Argentina and
2: its economy. And I just, I'm just grateful for the platform. Well, uh, we'd love to take a look back at some more of that work. So indulge us for a moment and everybody at home indulge us as we
26: would as well. 20 years
2: of haircuts i <laughs>
26: Christine Romans, the official new co-anchor of the Early Start it's, Broadcast. It's my
21: first day, so please be nice. Yes. Welcome to America Morning, everyone. This is CNN's Saturday edition. I'm financial news correspondent Christine Romans. Live from the New York Stock Exchange, this is Street Suite. Welcome to Your Money. I'm Christine Romans. It's an unprecedented tragedy for New York's financial district and for world markets and a rare occurrence in financial market history as well. U.S. stock markets will be closed for three straight weekdays.
26: Christine Romans on the phone right now with the Bureau of Labor Statistics to find out more about what's going on inside that data. So this is
21: what I can tell you when you look inside that data. We're gonna get the full uh, press release here in just a minute, you know, a bunch of different tables, but this is essentially better than expected. About 300 people slept overnight at the New York Stock Exchange. Dick Grasso, the chairman, said he slept on a couch. You had a lot of unshaven, unshowered, pretty grumpy people when the opening uh, bell rang. This uh, oil spill is devastating in so many ways, but it's not devastating so far for BP's bottom line. Nothing is more critical to your money than your job, and American jobs are disappearing fast. 1.9 million jobs have vanished so far this year. Do we expect she'll stay at Facebook for the long term? I mean, I know that some of her compensation is tied right. to staying there for a few more years. It is, but she's got plenty of money. For some farmers, they've never seen in the field this many poor ears right in Probably a row. not. Don't you worry about borrowing all that money? we got some money. I have real money from CNN, thank you CNN, for this real money, and we're gonna go learn how to spend it. The U.S. State Department now telling Americans not to travel abroad at all because of coronavirus. Millions are waiting anxiously for help. They have rents and mortgages and bills to pay April 1st. They are losing their jobs or they are having their paychecks cut. I don't know exactly what they're digesting. Uh, they're trying to figure out just how this election uh, race is going to come out. If George Bush had lost, it would have been just like his father who mm-hmm. lost and then immediately the economy started showing signs of strength. What does Barack Obama want to do about so many disparate problems in the economy right now. There's a little less optimism about the status quo, uh, and they're going to be looking for signs that fiscal cliff movement is happening. Zero more days until the election. Zero more hours, in fact. Zero more rallies, zero more debates, zero more October surprises, zero more November reversals. The Trump campaign is spreading more baseless claims of election fraud as it tries to contest Joe Biden's victory. My grandmother's name is Shirley Jean Peterson, and she remembers her grandma, Anna Jacobita Peterson.
26: And asks,
21: who paid your passage? Wow, that's so good. That's, you always heard about the ticket for all those years, but then to see it. They feel persecuted for
8: their success. No, oh, that's the biggest bunch of nonsense ever.
21: What keeps Jamie Diamond up at night?
8: Cyber 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 it is a national risk
21: what was the toughest part or the challenge of creating this land especially when you're you know under the eyes of star wars fans
13: there was never too much detail
20: you know i wanted to try them
13: on why don't you
20: can i, can I? of course do you mind? Okay.
3: okay because oh my god music in general really has pushed through any ideas everybody is
21: different that i'd be your thing? friend you can definitely be my can friend. i come over for dinner yeah. you what do you like to eat i like suet I can't believe they found the video of the ring of the closing bell oh my gosh all those haircuts <laughs> a lot of haircuts a great co-host guy, yeah. by your side for many years i know you were uh, you know john and i are different kinds of anchors um you're good no because, because in the breaks i like to talk i like to fill the time to talk and i want to talk to john about his life and everything and john likes to look at baseball scores so we have this thing where i'm just like jabbering away and john's like just looking at baseball scores. But we got along fine.
26: Christine Romans informed me this morning um, that she wasn't (laughs) my first co-anchor, but she was my favorite.
21: (laughs) I'll tell you that until it's
26: true. That's according to Christine Romans, who also (laughs) reminded me of uh, of a story from one of our first trips on the road when we anchored from the field, and, and she was going out with the whole crew for for drinks before the show, and she said, "Come on, before <laughs> you know, the show, well, not before, but the night before." <laughs> we she heard said, that. It'll be We're good. It'll be a good time. Here. It'll be good to hang out. You'll get to know people. I said, you know, and she claims, "I said, you know, I didn't come here to make friends."
21: That's what he told me. Oh. And I was like, "Oh wow, okay, I got a, I got a lot of work to do on this guy."
26: Okay, <laughs> but but so so Romans is right. Like for like we anchored early start together from four to six. Right for Brutal. 17 years yep. together. Um, <laughs> and, and mostly what I remember isn't the news. Mostly it was like a two-hour conversation right. about our kids who do the same things, about the people we know who are right. all the same. You know, we're the same age, almost. Um, and and just how wonderful it was to be with someone who I enjoyed so much oh, for you. so long. And it's the only thing that made it remotely palatable because it's so early in the things that I learned about you, <laughs> uh, I mean, Christine because Romans. Talk the Christine Romans is, you know, who the author of "Smart Is the New Rich," <laughs> yeah. you know, available in bookstores, is the most successful French major in financial <laughs> journalism. <laughs> Right. So so she's she's <laughs> Iowa's favorite child. as Herbert Hoover and Christine Romans. I know more story. I know the concert she went to in Iowa. I, I know I know the pizza store where she would smoke cigarettes in the back in Iowa. <laughs> Do not. Now that we're story. getting to the I, I hope your parents are watching, but <laughs> their kids. No. And and I feel so lucky that that I had that in To know you. And though you claim that I said. I didn't come here to make friends. Turns out that because of you, I've ended up with a really, really great one. Oh, and, and thank you. I don't, you know, co-anchor whatever, but you're a great friend.
21: Thank you. I I that's a wonderful thing about the gratitude I have for this place is that we are all friends. You know, I these a lot of the guys on the on the camera crew, like I call them like my other brothers. They really are. You know, I've known them since I was in my twenties. I was single in my in my twenties, a wire service reporter who walked in this in this front door and learned. Learn TV from all of you guys. So I really appreciate it. Um, we,
2: you know, Poppy and I were talking about all the things that we love about you yesterday. We were basically sobbing on the phone. We right were. <laughs> and what we love most is what Berman alluded to. But just, and what all of us here feel is just what a, what a wonderful person you are. You well, bring you. people together mm-hmm. because your kindness, your empathy, and you are so genuine. And I adore you, and I will miss seeing you every day. Yeah. But you cannot shake us. You cannot <laughs> so, shake us. So
10: we're in for the long haul.
2: I will be watching
21: all
26: of you guys. The, the, thing, super the, CNN the fan. thing that scared me the most was she told me, you know, she, she's been at CNN since before there were cell phones, so the only cell phone she has <laughs> is her CNN, which, which she, she's losing. I'm like, if your number changes, I can't <laughs> read your I number. I said the same thing. I will be <laughs> so bummed. <laughs> I better be able to find you. I,
21: my first phone was a flip phone from the from the assignment desk, you yeah. know, <laughs> when they would just pass That's out a phone amazing. when we were on assignment. That's how i Thank long you for to echo what Erica said. And Berman, that was amazing in true Berman fashion.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for welcoming me as a cub reporter. I remember when you came in. Never been on live television. I met you. You were about eleven months pregnant yep. with another eleven-pound baby. Yeah, yep, I had big one. Skinny as ever, and then there's the baby. And I meet you at this award dinner for financial journalism. That's right. And you immediately are so warm, you welcome me to sit next to you. You show me the ropes here for all of these years. You are a gift to us and to this network.
21: Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for all of it. Thank you very much. All the fun, all the smiles. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. It was fun. Most of it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back.
2: This morning, barriers have been put up outside of the courthouse in Fulton County, Georgia. The sheriff's office says this is uh, that it is proactively coordinating with agencies to enhance security during high profile proceedings. A grand jury there is, of course, weighing whether to indict former President Trump or his allies over efforts to overturn his 2020 election loss in that state. Now, keep in mind here, that would be in addition to the federal charges in the classified documents case, that superseding indictment, additional charges, of course, coming down yesterday and an upcoming charging decision in the January 6th investigation. In a new episode of The Whole Story with Anderson Cooper airing this Sunday night, CNN's Sarah Murray is gonna take us inside the events that led to that sprawling investigation in Fulton County.
3: We're more than two years past the pressure campaigns, the harassment of public and private citizens, the coordinating of fake electors, the breach of election equipment. And we still don't know, will Trump and his allies face charges here in Georgia? And if so, will there be convictions?
4: They rigged the presidential election in 2020, and we're not going to allow them to rig the presidential election of 2024.
3: Did voters deserve an answer to this question before Donald Trump became, you know, an announced candidate again?
4: Yeah, I don't think there's any
8: question about that. I mean, so from a national perspective, no question about it. From a local perspective here, no question about
3: it. You saw Former President Trump lied to the American people. You saw him gin up this outrage. Is it a remedy if he's charged with a crime in Georgia?
23: If they indict him and they can't convict him, it will be an exoneration.
3: Mm-hmm.
23: Is that better or is that worse? I don't know.
2: And Sarah Murray joins us now. Um, look, the fact that we saw those barriers this morning being right. put up. There's been a lot of talk about the timing here. Um, could we see a decision out of Fulton County soon?
3: I think we will see one soon. You know, the district attorney has sort of put her security partners on high alert. She's put her court partners on high alert. Technically, the window for when we think she could make announcements is going to open on Monday, July 31st. I would be surprised if we see something from them next week. I think they're still kind of getting organized in terms of talking to my sources. But I do think, you know, unless something goes really wrong with this case, that we are going to see an announcement from district attorney Fonnie Willis in Fulton County, probably in early August, about whether Donald trump or any of his allies or multiple people could face charges in this investigation guys
1: she has been investigating this and you have been following every single bit of news for two and a half years um there's been a lot of talk about how she's prosecuted other famous people in georgia on rico uh charges why, why is this taken so long to come together do you think
3: Well, I think the fact that she's looking at a potential racketeering and conspiracy case is part of it. And just in digging into this, and you'll see this in the documentary, there are so many elements of this that prosecutors have dug into. You know, it's not just Donald Trump calling the Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and pressuring him to find the votes. You know, it's things Rudy Giuliani said before state lawmakers to try to convince them that there was this widespread fraud in Georgia that didn't exist. It's this harassment campaign that was unleashed against you know, two election workers, Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss, that in a civil suit, Rudy Giuliani, recently conceded his statements about them were defamatory. You know, it's a breach of an election system in this rural county in Georgia. So there's a lot that she has covered over the course of this investigation.
1: Can't wait to watch. Sarah Marie, thank you very much. Thanks, Again, this is a new episode of The Whole Story with Anderson Cooper. It's Sarah's documentary. It airs Sunday night. She takes us inside the events that led to this sprawling investigation into Fulton County. Former President Trump charged with new crimes in the classified documents case. Andy is a new co-defendant who allegedly said the boss wanted security camera footage erased. The latest on the superseding indictment ahead.
2: Math and reading scores in the U.S. have dropped to their lowest levels in decades following the pandemic. Black children continue to lag behind their peers when it comes to literacy. And according to a recent report, just 33 percent of fourth graders can read proficiently. That number, though, drops to 17% for black children. This week's CNN hero, former teacher Alvin Irby, is working to change that by bringing books to barbershops.
8: <laughs> What's up, man? How you doing? We install a child-friendly reading space in the barbershop. We literally ask little black boys, what do you like to read? And then those are the books that we distribute to our national network of barbers. Use the opportunity when they're sitting in a chair to just even talk to them about books. Many black boys are raised by single mothers. So there's this opportunity to support barbers in becoming, how's the book going so far? Black male reading role models. Cheers. I'm just excited that we get to create a safe space for boys to uh, do something that is really life-changing. That's what I really believe
15: reading is. It unlocks potential.
1: How inspiring is that? To learn more about Alvin's program, head to cnnheroes.com. Don't forget to nominate someone you think should be a CNN hero. Those nominations close on Monday. It has been so nice to have you with us this week. It has been such a joy to have you by my side. Have a great weekend. You too, my friend. Have a great weekend, everyone. CNN New Central starts after this.